This is the Troll Patrol. Live with Justin Freakin'. Welcome to the Troll Patrol. Live. It's a freaking Tuesday. It's also an election day. Oh, I didn't open the Discord. I'm I've been running behind because about 30 minutes ago. I go to change my graphics to the election day graphics that you see now and realized I had saved over my project file with the cop graphics you saw last week on Thursday, I believe it was, when we did our salute to law enforcement for National Police Week. My dumbass saved over my graphics, so I had to make new ones real fast. And I've been on a been on a uh, uh, a bit of a been been, been on a bit of bit, bit of bit of a rush to get done on time. <laughs> Fuck, I can't even talk. As I, as I was coming on, though, I was like, you know, uh, I probably have some patriotic fucking intro that I could put. Uh, for the opening, you know, I've, I've probably done one for something along the way. I went and watched the one that I had for election day, and it like it was it was too old. It was too old school. Like, no, I can't play that. Old logo and everything. Sixteen tones. Warlord. Who else do I see up here? Coffee creamer. Warlord, I don't know if you were here last night for the caller. I know you were, like, I feel like you were here and then you came back after the caller. That video is up on YouTube. That video is crazy. I uh, I also put a little short clip of it up on, on Twitter. It might be, one of, might be one of my favorite clips I've ever made of my shit here on the Troll Patrol. We're going we're to we're talk about that guy here in a second. We're going to talk about all the elections going on. Kentucky, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, a couple more. We're going to get to all that fucking bullshit. We're going to highlight which races we're going to pay attention to. We've got Washington Post live coverage to watch, but I've also got some news stories to talk about. Several things going on in the United States. Like COVID, COVID is still going on. The New York City uh, uh, area has reached high alert levels. The FDA approves kid boosters. Now have eight more tests available from the government that you can get today. Plus staunch, staunch anti-vaxxer. Eric Clapton has to cancel shows for the next week. You're never going to guess why. Plus, we're going to touch on the easing of sanctions on Venezuela and the return to the Obama-era uh, policy of normalizing relations with Cuba. Uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, big mad about that. Uh, Here's your meme for the day. The U.S. COVID death toll officially surpasses 1 million. Congrats! You did it! (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about the Durham probe. For those of you who don't know, uh, Sussman, 
The dude that was a lawyer that provided the FBI with some of the details and ended up becoming part of the investigation into the Russian allegation. The trial of Sussman is going on right now. Well, that's that is a very complicated issue. Jones. Oh, I thought you were meaning like specifically DeSantis's appeal to the Cubans in Florida who quite possibly fled the country because of the revolution or are descendants of people who fled Cuba because of the revolution. It's whole ordeal, whole ordeal. Yeah, 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 Russia, that plays a factor as well. Nancy Pelosi, amazingly enough, talking tough. We'll see what comes of it. Indictments. Indictments over the baby formula shortage possibly coming. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, A Massachusetts congressional delegation coming after... Uh, Abbott Labs. So, like, there, there is, there is a push for some accountability on Abbott for this mess that they caused. Plus, we're going to talk about so much more. Let's start off tonight, uh, pointing out a few things. John Pick, is that our friend's name from last night? John Pick, if I remembering correctly. Uh, John Pick was in here. This is, this is the clip I made. This is the short version. The entire hour-long, uh, phone conversation is on YouTube. This was my favorite part. I was clearly, I was clearly frustrated that I pulled my fucking microphone over the stand. This is, this is the part I clipped for Twitter. Band together as Americans. What do you think leftism is, dude? We should band what? together as Americans. Leftism is collectivism. Banding together as Americans. It's the right wing trying no. to get you from joining. Collectivism yes, dude. Is Anti-American. Collectivism is anti-American. We did not become dude, this country dude, because Shut up for a second. You we just said, you just I said, mean, we, you we just said we need wall. to band together as Americans and then said collectivism yeah. is anti-American. Are you a fucking idiot? Apparently. <laughs> so I just wanted to address some of the things that our friend John said that I didn't have facts available off the top of my head or I didn't have facts available handy at the time. Uh, first of all, Andy NGO. But I hung up uh, on him over. I said if he was to come back today, we would go over Andy NGO. This is Salon. Andy NGO outed. Video shows him hanging out with far-right hate group. Joe was embraced by Ted Cruz and interviewed by Jake Tapper, but maybe he was just an alt-right troll all along. Oh, shit. Where's the video? Okay, there we go, there we go. So this is the video. Oh shit, it's like an 18 minute long video. 
I thought it was a shorter clip. But this was shot right before Patriot Prayer arrived at Cider Riot on May Day is the clearest evidence I've seen supporting the claim that Patriot Prayer and leader Joey Gibson were intent on instigating a fight that afternoon. The video shows members discuss their weapons and making preparations for the attack. No is present the entire time and can be seen laughing at certain points. No has been busted many times. You're exactly right. If you go back and watch any of the videos that No purports to show as violence for Antifa, almost certainly it is them retaliating against right-wingers being violent towards them. No has a habit of editing videos to do exactly that. So that's why I just scoffed at his assertion that, oh, if you've ever listened to Andy No. I was like, Andy knows a white supremacist. He associates with white supremacist groups. He claimed that FDR was the third worst president ever. We're going to go down here to... This is a survey of scholars. This is a survey of scholars... FDR, third, third, second, third, first, 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 second, tied for second. Oh, shit, I can't see. Oh, there we go. Second, third, first, third, 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 first, first, third, first, third, third, second, third. So all of these, this is uh, scholarly scholarly accounts, Uh, C-SPAN, Wall Street Journal, uh... Deanna, Rand McNally, different different sources here. All of them scholarly. They surveyed people that study this shit. FDR ranked no lower than third on their list of greatest presidents. But according to a caller last night, he said that FDR was the third worst, worst president. Here's the thing is like, I wouldn't even, I have read biographies on JFK, LBJ, uh, Jefferson, uh, Franklin, who was a president. I've read his, his autobiography, fucking Jackson, Lincoln. And, and when it comes to current presidents, I've read a shit ton of books. Tangentially, you know, from Shattered to uh, books about uh, George W. Bush and shit. I'm pretty well versed in this shit. And even I wouldn't wouldn't question the rankings of scholars (laughs) and presidents. I wouldn't have the audacity to say, oh, FDR was the, the third worst president in my opinion, as if I am qualified to make that assertion. But this guy who I, I'm assuming has never even read a book based on the... And I, I'm sorry, dude. There's not a knock on you. But, like, you're not well read and everything. This is this is like... I've, I've, 
I've had like three hours of conversations with you on the phone on the show now, and everything you say is wrong. Including last night, he asserted that the word capitalism was invented by the Soviets to disparage the United States system. Now, it was actually hard to track down the exact... Ah, fuck, I cut it off, didn't I? Uh, the word capitalist is first used by William Makepeace Thackeray, an English novelist. Obviously, the the system was described by Adam Smith before this, but he did not use the words capitalist or capitalism. Word is first used, capitalist first used by William Makepeace Thackeray about 12 years, 13 years before Das Capital, which is where Marx popularized its use. Uh, Marx may have read Thackeray, but it was unlikely that Thackeray read Marx. Uh, The word capitalist is first used in English in 1792 by Arthur Young. So, no. Capitalism wasn't invented. The term capitalism wasn't invented as Soviet propaganda. So, that was just just the things off the top of my head I felt I needed to clear up about last night's call. But it's clear that, you know, right-wingers are morons. Let's talk about the elections that we're going to be paying attention to tonight. I don't blame you. I believe the majority report is on right now. I do not blame you guys if you go and watch them. If, If I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be watching them. What to watch for in Tuesday's primary elections political tensions expected during the 2022 campaign season will play out in primaries occurring Tuesday when voters in Idaho, Kentucky, North Carolina, Oregon, and Pennsylvania go to the polls. The largest group of primary contests to date will include tests of former President Trump's endorsement, highly competitive bouts between moderate and progressive Democrats, and a make-or-break moment for one of Congress's most controversial members. I assume they're talking about Madison Cawthorn. Primaries will also indicate whether MAGA or Ultra MAGA is the GOP's winning formula. <laughs> As I said, Fox News is reporting that they actually workshopped Ultra MAGA for like six months. White House says Biden just said it off the cuff. Either of them could be true. Either of them are plausible. I would hope he said it off the cuff. Both parties have competitive primaries up and down the ballot on May 17th, including for a governorship, House, and an open U.S. Senate seat. A fierce GOP primary for Senate is underway between Trump-endorsed TV personality Mamet Oz, former hedge fund CEO David McCormick, and conservative commentator Kathy Barnett, all of whom are in a dead heat. I thought I had saw that McCormick dropped out. I might be wrong on that. Nope, he is certainly still in it. 
On the Democratic side for Senate, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, a progressive known for his low-key aesthetic, has been on pace to romp to an easy victory over his rivals, moderate U.S. Representative Connor Lamb and State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta. The announcement Sunday that he had suffered a stroke threw a curveball into not just his primary but the general election. For the governorship, Democratic Attorney General Josh Shapiro is unopposed, but Republicans have a large field. It's led by Trump-endorsed State Senator Doug Mastriano, a prominent 2020 election denier. Former U.S. Representative Lou Barletta has tried to cobble together an anti-Mastriano coalition. The Democratic primary in the 12th Congressional District is a race between Democratic Socialist State Representative Summer Lee and establishment-backed attorney Steve Irwin, which has gotten nasty in its final weeks. North Carolina, the largest battleground for Trump endorsements on Tuesday. The former president has thrown his weight behind candidates in multiple competitive races. After struggling at first to gain headway, Trump endorsed U.S. Rep. Ted Budd. Has seized a clear lead in the GOP Senate primary over former Governor Pat McCrory and former Representative Mark Walker. Democrats have a credible frontrunner and former state Supreme Court Chief Justice Sherry Beasley. Trump has also endorsed former college football player Bo Hines, who's running in a crowded GOP primary field. In the, I, even I am getting ads for Bo Hines today. Who's running in a crowded GOP primary field in the 13th district that includes former U.S. Rep. Renee Elmers. Freshman Rep. Madison Cawthorn who looks cute in drag, is fighting for re-election amid a series of high-profile scandals with little support from the GOP. His top primary foe is State Senator uh, Chuck Edwards, who's openly getting help from Senator Tom Tillis. Democrats have competitive primaries for open seats uh, in the state's first district between progressive former State Senator Erica Smith and moderate State Senator Don Davis. 4th District, which has a crowded field that includes former American Idol runner-up, Clay Aiken. In Oregon, the Democratic-leaning state gained a House seat in redistricting, which has resulted in several hotly contested Democratic primaries. The 5th District centrist U.S. Rep. Kurt Schrader appears to be one of the more endangered Democratic incumbents after breaking with his party on some key votes, despite a rare endorsement from President Biden. Of course... One of the, you help kill Biden's agenda and then Biden will come out and give you an endorsement. Fucking weird. Once again, this is a congressperson. This isn't um, the senator who actually helped kill Biden's agenda. Liberals have lined up behind former House candidate Jamie McLeanard Skinnerd. I always say that name wrong, don't I? It's not McLeod. Cloud? McLeod? Was that it? Did you guys told me? Jamie McLeod Skinner. McLeod seems right. Yeah, we gotta we gotta work across the aisle. I need to reach out and compromise with the people who think I'm a groomer. In Idaho, one of Trump's bolder endorsements is for Lieutenant Governor Janice McGreechen who's challenging Governor Brad Little in the GOP primary. Huh, they didn't even mention Kentucky. I don't think it's even going to be close. I think Charles Booker is going to win. And then it's on to face Rand Paul in the Senate race in Kentucky. 
I don't think there's anybody even giving Charles Booker a run for it at this point. Let's uh let's go to live coverage from the Washington Post, and then we'll do our stories, and we'll come back and we'll check back in after uh, more races have probably been called. Been struggled polls recently after a handful of disclosures, and you can see here with about fifty percent of the votes reported, he's running behind. Uh, polls have probably already closed in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. I would assume was expected to do well in places like Buncombe County, which is home to Asheville, and we were expecting Cawthorn to do well. It's like Cawthorn is down right now but there is still a lot of vote left to be counted we've got about 50 percent of the vote outstanding and we're going to be keeping our eye on that race because it's going to be really tight at least yeah i didn't know if it'd be 20 minutes ago or like an hour and 20 minutes ago now we were also thinking that maybe there would be a bit of a spoiler in the booker wins in kentucky by a huge margin charles booker goes on to face rand paul Elsewhere in North Carolina, we're watching a Biden, a lean Biden district from 2020, where we're seeing Sandy Smith with uh, running ahead with about 7% of the votes reported. The more interesting race here, I think, is in the Democratic primary, where we've got Don Davis running quite a bit ahead of the rest of the pack with about... 20- no, sir, you get out of here with your Rand Paul 2024 bullshit. The Republican and the Democratic primaries are going to run a little bit out of sync, and that's because the votes are going to be counted at a different rate, depending on which of the two parties is handling that vote tallying operation. Now, the other place that we've got some results that I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about is Pennsylvania. Now, there's not a whole Here you go, warlord. Some really interesting stuff happening here in Pennsylvania Senate. For starters, with about 3% of the vote in... Just 3%, but McCormick is up significantly. ...and Kathy Barnett. Barnett, as you remember, uh, one of the candidates who was running uh, really highly in the late polls, and we're going to be watching her tonight to see how well those those polls uh, predict what her actual vote total is going to look like. And then on the Democratic side, we've got John Fetterman. You Looks know, like Fetterman is running away with it. Running ahead of Connor Lamb so far in with about 15% of the vote reported. We're going to keep watching there elsewhere in the state, especially in Philadelphia and northern parts of the state like Erie, where we're really expecting to see some more support. And Connor Lamb, of course. WAPO doing as well. We checked in with them. They gave us the races that we are really interested in. Now we'll do the news and we'll come back to WAPO when we'll have a more concrete idea of what is going on in the elections. Let's move over to Russia, where or I mean Ukraine. Where apparently Russia has gained control of the city of Maripol. A small truce as Russia allows Ukraine to evacuate hundreds of fighters holed up in Mariupol's steel plant. At the end of a siege that has symbolized Ukrainian resistance, Russia is calling it a mass surrender, but Ukraine only says the garrison has served its mission. So Russia calling it a mass surrender. Let's get more info on exactly what's going on. It was ultimately a tragic end after some of the longest, fiercest resistance of this war. Several hundred Ukrainian fighters, many of them severely wounded, surrendered from their last stand holdout, a steel plant in the city of Mariupol. They had been battling for months, even as Russian forces besieged the port city of a half a million and bombed it relentlessly. God damn! Where hundreds of children were sheltering and a maternity hospital. The bunkers beneath the steel factory became the fighters' Alamo. But they couldn't stay here forever, surrounded and with little food or water. They were evacuated 
to hostile territory. I will point out that this is members of, uh, some of these are members of the Azov Battalion, the uh, accused Nazis in Ukraine. Territory later. Ukraine's president. I'm not making near as big of a deal about it as some of the supposed leftists for now. are making. Ukraine needs Ukrainian heroes alive. That's our principle, he said. The work continues to return our guys home, and this work requires delicacy and time. It's unclear how many fighters remain in Mariupol. Western intelligence officials expect some will form an underground resistance. Natalia's husband, Bogdan, fought at the steel plant. Now in Turkey, she hasn't heard from him in 10 days. Speaking of Turkey, they are opposing uh, of course, uh, Finland and Sweden's inter, uh, entering into NATO. Uh, I mean, his spirit, I mean, his body. And we, the wives, we try to be suitable for them and to be also strong. The loss of Mariupol is a... That makes sense. Turkey just wants a bribe. Ignore them, warlords. <laughs> other parts of this country, according to well, they are aligned with Russia, as uh, as I understand it. Third of its combat power, due to poor logistics. And Erdogan does seem like he would be, you know, buddy buddies with Putin. On the city of Mariupol, they vow to liberate it, and they hope soon. Savannah. All right, Richard Engel in Ukraine. Thank you, Richard. Hey, thanks for watching our YouTube channel. Ah, shut up, Al Roker. Other than that, I want to touch on the Brittany Griner case. Apparently, her detention was extended. Blinken, uh, that is Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, tells the wife of Brittany Griner her case is a top priority. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken spoke with Brittany Griner's wife, Cheryl Griner, a State Department spokesperson confirmed to Axios on Tuesday. Lincoln told Sherell Griner the case is a top priority for the State Department and that she should reach out if there is anything she is not getting. Griner's pretrial detention in Russia was extended for another month last week after the WNBA star was arrested in the country in March on drug charges. State Department said last week a U.S. consular officer at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow has spoken to Griner, but visit requests to see her have been repeatedly denied. A third request in the past month was denied recently. The official account of the U.S. Embassy in Moscow tweeted on May 17th. State Department spokesperson Ned Price at a press briefing on Tuesday said that the U.S.'s sporadic contact with Griner was not satisfactory and it may not be consistent with Vienna Convention, to which Russia has subscribed, as if they as if they care at this point. We continue to urge the Russian government to allow uh, consistent, timely consular access to all U.S. citizens detained in Russia, in line with those very legal obligations, and to allow us to provide consular services for U.S. citizens detained in Russia. Remain in regular contact with the families of those held hostage or wrongfully detained. We are grateful for their partnership and feedback, and we continue to work to ensure we are communicating and sharing information in a way that is useful to them. That's according to a State Department spokesperson emailed to Axios yesterday. Oh, really, Warlord? I, I had not heard about that. I can't. Sweden supported a terrorist group. I would have to look into that. I thought I thought the sweetest position was to remain neutral on everything and, and, and anything. 
They eat chocolate. They eat cheese. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about this before we move on. Can Turkey block Sweden and Finland's entry into NATO? Uh, is this in French? Is this in French? He said it before and isn't ready to budge. Yaptırım uygulayanların. Fuck you, Erdogan. We will not say yes to the countries who apply sanctions to Turkey and want to join NATO. Biz evet demeyiz. Recep Tayyip Erdogan remains firmly opposed to Sweden and Finland's bids to join the alliance, with a reference to measures taken by the countries in 2019, when both halted arms sales to Turkey in response to its offensive against Kurdish forces in Syria. Oh, well, that makes total sense. Erdogan has also stressed the incompatibility of their support for the Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK, which it considers a terrorist organization. As to the... The Workers' Party. You left that part out, Warlord. Of course he considers the Workers' Party a terrorist organization. The European Union and the United States. Over the past five years, neither Stockholm nor Helsinki have responded to any of... And, and, and Sweden probably acknowledges the Armenian genocide as well. No, they probably don't, to be honest with you. Ankara's extradition requests. I have to say something very sincere and direct. Neither country holds a clear stance against terrorist organizations. The president's spokesperson earlier said that they hadn't shut the door to Sweden and Finland's membership. Any new applicants... Turkey is one to talk. ...NATO members to approve their requests. And the Swedish delegation is expected to travel to Ankara next week. What, they gotta go down and suck up to them? No way. Oh, shit. Now, here is some good news that I was not expecting today. The U.S to ease some economic sanctions on Venezuela. The Biden administration is moving to ease some economic sanctions on Venezuela to encourage peaceful negotiations between the opposition and Nicolas Maduro's regime. Oh, of, co- of course, it's it's uh, extortion. Officials told reporters that they are taking these measures at the request of the Venezuelan interim government led by Juan Guaido, who the U.S. still recognizes as the country's legitimate president. Oh, my God. The Treasury Department has issued a narrow license authorizing Chevron to negotiate on potential future activity in Venezuela, the official said. However, the company is not allowed to enter into any agreements with Venezuela's state-owned oil company. Your administration officials said that none of these uh, alleviations would lead to an increase in revenue for the regime. Other actions are expected to become public throughout the day, senior officials said. The AP reported the sanctions will be lifted for Carlos Eric Pica Flores, nephew of Venezuela's first lady and former Venezuelan national treasurer. 
The Venezuelan opposition released a statement saying that they did not ask the U.S. to lift any sort of personal sanctions from specific officials, adding that they are calling for the announcement of the date in which negotiations can continue with Maduro's regime, along with a concrete agenda. Policy framework for us is that we are focused on promoting a viable dialogue that leads to concrete and ambitious outcomes, senior administration officials said. We will alleviate pressure on the basis of those outcomes and in coordination very closely with the Venezuela interim government. We will reapply sanctions on the basis of any steps backwards or regress in any sort of negotiations. This fucking country, man. I wanted to praise the Biden administration for doing something, but fuck. That, that article made me more pissed off. Here are Cubans reacting to a reversal of Trump's reversal of Obama's normal normalization of relations in Cuba. Administration reversing former President Donald Trump's policies toward Cuba, particularly with travel and sending money back to the island. Local 10's Hatzel Vela with more. Inside Cuba, we talk to folks who know firsthand what the new Biden policies mean to Cubans on the island. La apertura de la embajada americana era... Abdel Legra, Cuban activist critical of the government, welcomes the policy changes regarding visa processing and expansion of services at the U.S. Embassy in Havana. The Biden administration says increasing consular services will help reinstate the Cuban family reunification parole program. La medida más importante de todas las que se están tomando... Cuban dissident Manuel Morua says the most important policy change is the lifting of limits of remittances, or the money Cuban Americans can send to the island. Under President Trump, there was a $1,000 limit per quarter. That's gone now. The Biden administration is also changing travel policy so commercial flights can also land in other cities beyond Havana, which will undoubtedly increase travel to the island. But both men remain concerned over the possibility some of these policies still benefit the Cuban government. Indeed, Sassy, and not in a good way. Crisis, mostly critics say because of its inefficient, centralized... Warlord, I assume that was in the video because I didn't, I didn't have any kind of notification or anything pop up. Trump sucks, and not in the way that I would if I was to give you a nice blue job. ...economy worsened by the pandemic and highlighted by the nationwide historic protest last July. Elements all playing a part in the ongoing record-breaking Cuban migration, which Nicaragua is facilitating by allowing Cubans to leave the island and getting to the U.S.-Mexico border. Migration numbers that are on pace to outstrip this total scale of the Mariel Boatlift of 1980. It stands to reason that the United States government is going to try to respond in some way. Back in Cuba, a hostel owner says... Seguimos en las mismas. Too many promises in the past, and we're still in the same situation. So what happens next when it comes to U.S.-Cuba relations? Well, the big test is going to be what happens at the Summit of the Americas in uh, this coming summer in Los Angeles. I will tell you there's been rumblings that the U.S. thinks or will not invite Cuba, Nicaragua, or Venezuela. At this point, the U.S. says that decision has not been made. 
but not reporting live from Pembroke Park. I'm- well, I can tell you that this decision has made somebody in Florida big, big mad. His name is Rowan DeSantis. I'd like to say, uh, particularly since I'm down here, uh, regarding news that the Biden administration is going to try to increase uh, tourism and exchange programs with Cuba. I think we've seen this uh, song before. Uh, that is going to increase the amount of money that's going to the dictatorship. Everything that enters that island, uh, they control. And so the idea that that's somehow going to help the people in Cuba who've been struggling for freedom. Uh, we what an asshole. Not be the case. And I think it's also very difficult. To- I'm sorry, but sending money to families in Cuba will indeed help them. You fucking prick to take on the heels of last summer having a unique opportunity to potentially uh, see freedom flourish on the island for the first time in many decades and then to have the administration do next to nothing. I mean, they wouldn't even uh, green light Internet access. I mean, to you could have had Elon Musk would have done it or somebody would have done it if we would have put some money behind it. And so uh, and I think it's un- Elon Musk is a fucking idiot administration's policy that all these people in the Western Hemisphere who are fighting against freedom for their people they seem to want to do business with they want oil from maduro work with nicaragua they're delisted farc uh so that is not the way you stand for freedom in our hemisphere and so i think people that's weird that's weird they uh the administration has capitulated to pretty much your entire position the 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 whole maduro thing they're not negotiating with maduro they still recognize the other government the illegitimate government. Not inviting Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Nick, Nick, God damn it. Nick at night. Nicaragua. Nick, I've said it before, I swear. Nicaragua. Nicaragua. To the summit of the Americans. So I don't I don't know what the fuck else you want from them, sir. Oh, you're just you're just uh, posturing. The minute you're sending more of this to the island, that's going right into the pocket of the Cuban dictatorship. Ah, uh, fuck you, DeSantis. You're an idiot. Okay, so earlier in the show, I wanted to praise Democrats for doing something, and I ended up being. Upset after I actually read the article. There's another one where I'm hoping I get to praise Democrats. Nancy Pelosi, don't let me down. Please don't let me down. Pelosi floats indictments for baby formula deaths as Democrats unveil emergency funding. Speaker Nancy Pelosi Tuesday suggested that there could be indictments for the people found to be responsible for the deaths of two infants who consumed baby formula that may have been contaminated. This is what led to the shutdown of the factory that's now causing the baby formula shortage. Speaking at a press conference to unveil Democrats' $28 million aid bill to help put formula back on store shelves, Pelosi said the possibility that contaminated formula killed at least two babies is sinful. Infant deaths are part of a series of events that has contributed to a nationwide shortage of infant formula. A manufacturing plant operated by Abbott Nutrition has been shut down since February after four infants who consumed formula made there were hospitalized with a rare bacterial infection. Abbott is one of the largest formula manufacturers in the country. 
The shutdown has exacerbated existing supply chain pressures, leading to bare shelves in stores across the country. Emergency funding legislation is one piece of a broader push to address the formula shortages. Pelosi said that the House intends to pass a bill this week, as well as a related measure to expand access to formula for vulnerable families. According to Representative Johanna Hayes, the bill would allow people who participate in the Low Income Assistance Program for Women, Infant, and Children, known as WIC, to access more sources of formula. WIC benefits restrict the types of formulas that recipients can buy. Uh, what Infamil was the one that... I don't know, I've been getting them confused because I don't know shit about fucking formula. But the, what, whichever one Abbott was supplying had the... Uh, exclusive contract for WIC. Democrats are vowing to investigate the shortages which have been months in the making. The House Energy and Commerce Committee is holding a hearing next week with top Food and Drug Administration officials as well as executives from formula manufacturers. While a delegation of lawmakers from Massachusetts are coming for blood... Massachusetts delegation demands answers from Abbott on Similac. Similac, that's it. Not Infamil, Similac. I'm sorry, Infamil. You guys did nothing wrong that I know of yet. Addresses reliance of low-income parents on baby formula. The Massachusetts congressional delegation is demanding answers from Abbott Nutrition on when strained consumers can see baby formula Similac back on store shelves. Letter led by Rips Lori Trahan, Catherine Clark, and Ariana Presley sent to the manufacturer on Tuesday. Legislatures said rationing food for infants who desperately need nutrients to grow up strong and healthy is not an acceptable outcome. The representatives say there is their intention is to get more information from Abbott so that families can plan accordingly. Abbott is the producer of Similac, the exclusive standard baby formula for recipients of the state's Women, Infants, and Children Nutrition Program. The families of about 22,000 infants around the state rely on WIC to find a supply of baby formula. Aww. What's up, Media Winch? About 42% of all babies born in Massachusetts are enrolled in the WIC program, through which they get baby formula. Their guardians are facing a slog finding Similac or any baby formula. The organization gives clients a WIC card, and they buy the products themselves in grocery stores and large retailers. That's difficult in the current crisis. The out-of-stock rate reached 43% last week, a 10% increase from April. Hey, Justin, are you trolling Who was that? Hey, Justin, are you trolling? Wait a minute. I know that. I know that voice. Is that Ninetales? Austin Bennett. Oh, is that Ninetales? (laughs) Oh, it was from last night. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I forgot all about doing that. I don't even know who Austin Bennett is, but man, we took over his uh, his stream. 
Apparently, all the commenters were us. I was in there talking to Lady B and had no clue it was Lady B. Though I kind of thought something was funny. He kept talking about her chicken nuggets. <laughs> and how they, they locked her down and took away her chicken nuggets. And that wasn't freedom. I agreed. I agreed. I want you to have your chicken nuggets. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I forgot all about that. I should have clipped that and played it on the show. Shit. Meanwhile, later today, most certainly forgot that I'm re I'm respawned every day. I'm just come out of a pod. I have no recollection of what happened to me yesterday. Ah, oh, these motherfuckers on Fox News. Was this, is this Ducey and uh, a what's her name that was uh? She was the press secretary, right? Oh, uh, fucking, what was her name? Kaylee McEnany. This is Ducey and Kaylee McEnany. Talking about the Sussman trial. Sussman was the... Sussman was the, uh, lawyer that was... Said he wasn't working on behalf of the campaign when he turned over, uh... Evidence to the FBI... Then later did go to work for the campaign, the Clinton campaign in 2016. This was the uh, supposed impetus of the Russian investigation. Today, lawyers will give their opening arguments in the trial of former Hillary Clinton campaign attorney Michael Sussman. It's the first trial in special counsel John Durham's investigation of the Trump-Russia probe. The jury was finalized yesterday, and it includes as many as three Hillary Clinton donors and one who supported far-left congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Why would that matter? joins us on what we can expect. Uh, Professor, does that seem fair to you? Uh, can yes. those three people who donated to her campaign be fair? Well, the special counsel objected uh, to uh, particularly one of these jurors as being biased, and Judge Cooper uh, overruled that. Um, this is a, the latest of a series of decisions by the court that has in some ways debilitate I mean I just I just don't understand how you can get a pure jury that hasn't donated to either Democrats or Republicans in this instance the aspects of the prosecution you know the the court previously ruled that Durham could not make critical linkages to the Clinton campaign during the trial and Durham's people were, I think, incredulous and said, well, hold it. The reason we're saying that he hid his connection to the Clinton campaign was that this was part of an overall effort to do so. Uh, the other attorney in this firm, Mark Elliott. What, what they are alleging is that Sussman, who wasn't working for the campaign when committing the, the, the lying to the FBI, it's what he is accused of. What they're saying he lied about was that he was working with the campaign. <laughs> it seems pretty cut and dry. That's that's all they've got. That's all they've got here. Yes, who was the general counsel of the Clinton campaign, was also accused of lying about the Clinton campaign funding the Steele dossier. This deals with a right. separate Russian collusion theory involving the Alpha Bank. 
But it both both of these individuals were accused of similar conduct, and the campaign was accused of just concealing its role in spreading Russian collusion theories. The court said, I'm not going to let you make those close connections. Uh, you're not going to be able to present that to the jury. So the prosecution is starting out with some very significant limitations imposed by the court, and I don't agree with them. Right. Uh, and keep in mind, for the folks at home, this trial re really is about the charge is that he, Mr. Sussman, lied to the FBI because uh, he took this information to the general counsel. And he, they said, are you working for somebody? And he said, no, this is just on my own. Like, I'm, I'm just offering this up. It is wild to me that the whole Mueller investigation covered up how many people lied to the FBI, uncovered how many people lied to the FBI. Several were charged, yes. But I mean, come the fuck on. To save America. But here's the thing, a professor. Nobody in Trump's circle was charged. Mueller had figured all this stuff out in 2016. I mean, he had a $40 million investigation. You would have. You know, Donald Jr. lied to the FBI. Back then. Well, this is, in fact, the same charge that was brought by Mueller against a number of Trump officials. And frankly, the trials could not be more different. Seems you know, sus, doesn't it? Prosecution of Flynn, who pleaded guilty, uh, the judge in this very same courthouse really applied a no-holds-barred approach, anything the prosecution wanted. In this case, it's much, much more restrictive. But there are a lot of questions that you raise, which, which are legitimate. We're learning a lot of new information about the role of the Clinton campaign in creating these collusion allegations, of spreading them, of hiding uh, their funding. Recently, the Clinton campaign was fined uh, by the FEC for hiding the funding right. of the Steele dossier and calling it legal costs through this firm, Perkins Coie. Um, all of that is relatively new. And the question is why the Mueller campaign, why the Mueller uh, prosecutors uh, failed to uncover any of this. Yeah. They were investigating something completely different. One big difference is the Mueller investigation leaked like a sieve. We heard everything they were working on. But by comparison, the Durham probe has been relatively leak-free. We only found things out in court. Uh, Pennsylvania election. We're, we're going to check back in here in a little bit. Thank you. You bet. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Brian Kilmeade. And I'm Ainsley Earhart. Last time we checked, uh, McCormick was up, Oz was second, and uh, Barnett was third. Like Fetterman was running away from it, or running away with it. But they were only, they only had like three percent when we like started the show. We'll go back to the the live coverage here in a little bit. FDA authorizes Pfizer COVID booster for children 5 to 11. The Food and Drug Administration on Tuesday authorized booster doses of the Pfizer Biotech coronavirus vaccine for children between the age of 5 and 11. Children age 5 to 11 can get their first booster shot five months, at least five months after completion of a primary series with the Pfizer Biotech COVID-19 vaccine. The booster shot is 10 micrograms which is the same dosage this age group received in their primary series and a third of what is given to people aged 12 and older. Oh, it has been called for Fetterman? Fuck yeah. I, he was up by like 20%, but as I said, it was very early when we first checked in. 
Also, today, you can get you eight more COVID tests. The link is right there in the chat. Place your order for another eight free at-home COVID test. That is the link. Just go give the UPS your info. They will send you eight free COVID tests. Everyone should do it. I'm going to do it. I don't know. I, I don't associate with people. don't go out very often. But just in case, it's going to be nice to have them on hand. So go ahead. Get your eight free COVID tests. Because uh, we're getting ready to see another wave. Here it comes again. New York City coronavirus cases reach high alert level. Mayor Eric Adams warned on Monday that the city was nearing the threshold, but said we're not at the point of mandating masks. New York City health officials put the city on high COVID alert on Tuesday after rising case counts and hospitalizations reached a level that could put substantial pressure on the healthcare system. The announcement was triggered by a color-coded alert system that the city introduced in March, but so far the system has had little impact on the city's disease control strategy or the public's perception. Reset this. Thank you for being a freaking follower. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams warned Monday that the city was nearing the threshold, but said we're not at the point of mandating masks. Two months now, there has been a persistent rise in known infections driven almost entirely by Omicron subvariants. In recent days, the city logged on average more than 3,500 new daily cases, although those numbers significantly understate the virus's prevalence. As many infections are detected by at-home tests but never counted by health authorities. Bad news if you are a fan of Eric Clapton, who is a staunch anti-vaxxer, uh, said he would not perform in venues that require vaccines. He's been out on tour, but now Eric Clapton has the COVID, has had to cancel shows. Eric Clapton, who last summer declared that he reserved the right to cancel performances at venues where audience members were required to show proof of COVID vaccination, has indeed canceled two shows. But for another reason, Clapton just tested positive for the coronavirus. The announcement of the show cancellations in Zurich and Milan were made on Clapton's official Facebook page last night. Eric Clapton is unfortunately suffering from covid having tested positive shortly after the second concert at the Royal Albert Hall. It was you Brits that gave it to him. Good on you guys. Eric Clapton's a piece of shit. His music has been really, really shitty lately. But honestly, like, I have about, like, three fucking Eric Clapton songs I actually like. Oh, yeah, Clapton is British. But once again, it was the Brits that gave it to him, too, isn't it? I think Clapton is one of the most overrated artists. That's just me, though. That's just me. Like a couple of Cream songs. Like a couple of Clapton songs. Let It Grow is a banger.
Uh, but let's hear somebody else's stupid opinion on COVID, shall we? Been a little bit since we played a video from Kim Iverson of The Hill. Kim, what's on your radar? Well, four-time vaccinated Stephen Colbert came down with COVID twice in the past few weeks. Yep, you heard me right. Colbert, known for his vaccine pushing and vaccine shaming, came down with COVID twice in the span of three weeks. Colbert first announced... Oh, and I bet he didn't get all that sick. He definitely avoided severe illness. He had COVID on April 21st with this tweet. Yep, I tested positive for COVID, but basically I'm feeling fine. Grateful to be vaxxed and boosted. Thank you for the well wishes. Colbert took about 10 days off to recover from the virus, which he later described as a serious head cold. He took the Pfizer treatment drug Paxlovid, then said he tested negative on day six of his isolation. He was back in the studio taping shows on May 2nd. But then, a week later, on May 9th, production was halted again until further notice because Stephen had what's been called a recurrence of COVID. Now, last Monday, The Late Show tweeted out, Stephen is experiencing symptoms consistent with the recurrence of COVID. Out of an abundance of caution for his staff, guests, and audience, We will be he will be isolating for a few additional days. The Late Show will not be taping new episodes until further notice. Colbert called it the worst sequel ever, I bet. Well, maybe you've heard about these recurrences lately. They're considered extremely rare, but we've heard that phrase before. Turns out the treatment drug Paxlovid, which is made by Pfizer, has a problem. Paxlovid is the early treatment that was given emergency use authorization back in December after clinical trials showed it reduced severe COVID outcomes by 89% in unvaccinated adults. It's a five-day treatment of three pills taken twice a day for five days at the earliest onset of symptoms. It doesn't work if you take it too late. You reportedly have to take it early. The treatment is a combination of two different medications. One drug is a new inhibitor that prevents the virus from replicating, and the other is a repurposed HIV drug, ritonavir, which is used to boost the efficacy of the inhibitor drug. For HIV, ritonavir combined with the HIV-specific inhibitor doesn't get rid of the virus. We know this. HIV hasn't been cured yet. What it does is turn the HIV cells dormant to the point where they're undetectable. But if you stop taking your HIV medication, the dormant cells will wake up and begin making copies of themselves again. Now, of course, HIV is a different virus. It doesn't go away on its own like COVID eventually does. But a good number of people taking Paxlovid seem to be experiencing a rebound of the virus after it gets to the point of being undetectable. However, the scientists and the doctors say they don't know why this is happening. According to the Wall Street Journal, the health experts say they aren't sure if the relapse patients are contagious, nor are they sure what causes the rebounds. They say maybe patients are taking Paxlovid too early or not long enough. The experts also It's almost like this is a a a virus that has never existed before and we don't know how it operates. 3000 patients. But again, we've heard this phrase throughout the of this is extremely rare like getting the virus after being vaccinated or having a case of myocarditis. And it turns out these events are more common than they first appear. So my guess is people get the virus. They go to the doctor to get Paxlovid. They get sick a little while later and suffer through it privately without reporting it to the officials, like most people who caught the virus. So it's impossible for them to know how many people are truly having these relapses. But they are. And more importantly, Pfizer, the manufacturer, doesn't know why. Could it be that they're prescribing Paxlovid to vaccinated and boosted adults when the clinical trials were only conducted on the unvaccinated? It's possible. They don't know why it's happening. And that's sort of been the theme throughout this pandemic. 
There's a lot of unknowns when it because comes it's a virus has never existed before. Shamed by people like Stephen Colbert, who was once again COVID free and back to work, by the way. Now, how many of us were shamed and accused of being anti-science for saying the vaccines don't stop the spread? Believe it or not, people are still being mandated by their employers to get the vaccine. Schools are still requiring boosters for college students. And yet, as well, they should fully vaccinated, even quadruple dosed like Stephen Colbert are falling ill with COVID. Of course, rather than admit they were wrong and that they forced us into taking a vaccine under the false pretense that it would. No one forced you to do anything. No one was wrong. The vaccine is still highly effective against the virus. Kim, you are an idiot. Right-wingers are morons. End the pandemic. The new phrase is, but thank God for the vax because it could be so much worse. Though this may be true for many high-risk older folks whose lives have been saved by the vaccine, there is no statistical evidence for younger, low-risk cohorts that this is true. Yet everyone keeps saying it. Just recently, Johnson & Johnson was limited due to the possibility of fatal blood clotting. Those blood clots happened in women in their 30s and 40s who were otherwise at no real risk of severe COVID outcomes. Many of us knew about these risks and have been discussing... I would assume the instance of blood clotting was less than what it was with, like, COVID. COVID causes blood clots as well. Yet here we are a year later, and the government finally agrees with us. Well, what will they agree with us in another year's time? That's the no, question. no, you are an idiot. To note, Robbie and Bree, is that Paxlovid, you know, uh, the, the clinical trials were conducted. Uh, they were conducted. And only neither of these two chuckle fucks are going to correct her. Giving it out to vaccinated people without any sort of clinical data on this whatsoever. So we don't actually know, you know, they're, they're now collecting that real world data, which is what they're saying. They're saying Bree might push back a little bit. Find out how many people does this not totally work on and. You know, what it what is it what's causing this problem? We don't know um, that's, you know, and that that I think is bothersome to so many of us that they they push these drugs out there. They say, well, we're learning on the go. It's an emergency. So we have to fine. Fair enough. But why did the FDA just the other day, for example, refuse to authorize fluvoxamine for emergency use, authori use authorization, citing lack of data? When they had that same problem with Paxlovid, what is it about Paxlovid besides the obvious? I think that there's just a lot of money to be made with Paxlovid versus fluvoxamine. Why is it that, you know, we're still going through this? I don't know what the trials were with. And then, you know, they're, they're demonizing drugs like fluvoxamine. We're I'm, I'm assuming this is a false equivalency working. Some people can't take Paxlovid. They say Paxlovid's our first choice, but some people can't take it. It, it interferes with their drugs. They need something else. Here's another alternative. Maybe it's not great. It's not It's not the best, but 30% reduction is better than no reduction, right? So, you know, we're still kind of going through this learning as we go, yet the people that question are still being called anti-science uh, deniers and that they just need, and everybody just needs to, you know, still get in line and, and shape up. Ma'am, you are still lying to your audience for clicks. You are completely wrong. Suddenly she realizes 30% is better than none. Huh. Maybe then cloth masks would be effective because 30% efficacy is better than none. And, and, you know, stop being so such terrible human beings. Right. I mean, I, I'm still just trying to understand all of this. Well, you're and, one, and once again, it was like, I feel personally insulted by people coming after me and telling me that I've been wrong.
That's all it is. It's, it's her aggrievement. It's a good one. Paxlovid, I just looked it up. They, Pfizer stands to make $22 billion from it, which is a substantial portion, about 20% wow. of its total, $102 billion. And let me, point, let me point out, she, like, Kim went through that whole rant, and they, they're talking about the profit motive. Hey, well, let's nationalize the drug companies. Are you going to mouth that? Is that going, that's the solution to the problem you are describing? Are you going to say that to your stupid ass fucking followers? No. Revenue for the year. Remay. You know, high profile people like Stephen Colbert are saying that they're taking Paxlovid and having these recurrent infections. That certainly doesn't, uh, it's not going to inspire investors about their bottom line. Well, and just the fact that who gives a shit about investors tested it even on vaccinated people. And yet they've rolled it out to make all that money without even uh, batting an eyelash. They're just saying, all right, well, hey, if it's if it worked for the unvaccinated, it'll work for the vaccinated. They don't. How do they know this? They don't know. We're finding out as we go. Yeah. And they should just disclose that. Like, I'm all for people wanting to. You know, if you want, what would what would be the difference if you have some immunity to if I if I'm an unvaccinated person that has uh, immunity from a previous infection, and I took this shit, what, what would be the difference from somebody who's vaccinated and have immunity from a vaccination? I I don't understand what the point is. I don't understand what the difference would be. That should be on you. You should have all the relevant information, talk to you about your doctor, and then you should be able to do whatever you want. I don't like the excessive gatekeeping. Of yes, the- talk to your doctor. They're going to recommend you get vaccinated, you stupid um, fuck. Treatments and things, and sometimes those are preferred for good reasons. But we have to, you know, it's not it's not conspiratorial or anything to probe a little further. And, well, because the FDA has an agenda. It has a bureaucratic agenda. It has, you know, these pharmaceutical manufacturers have an agenda too sometimes those agendas uh overlap in ways that is not necessarily in the it's worth questioning whether it's in the public health best interest because there are financial interests at stake there are just there are bureaucratic interests at stake and it's not it's not wrong to probe those and and people have questions that should be answered I mean, and look, you know, if my grandmother were to catch COVID and she is, of course, uh, tr- you know, double or triple vaccinated, I would probably say, hey, go get some Paxlovid. I mean, go get what you can to try to survive this thing if you're 90 something years old, you know, 70, 65, anything. Right. If you're in a high risk category, then I say, uh, you know, I'm with you, Robbie. Try everything. Yeah. You have the right to try. Absolutely. You shouldn't be a, a sitting duck for a bad. Well, I will tell you what not to try. Don't try the fucking horse paste. Don't try the fucking horse paste. Fox News posting a few days ago, ivermectin's hidden cost. New studies show that 68% almost noise of those who used ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID are suffering long-term bowel and urinary incontinence. Candace Owens retweets it. Well, this explains a few things. Candace, are you shitting your guts out right now? COVID I, I did this say that when my when my grandparents who are vaccinated got it, um, I, I they got COVID, and I, I was talking to my mom on the phone, and I'm like, are they going to give them? And I, I couldn't remember what it was at the time, or it was, it was what yeah. is, what is it called? Are they going to give them that thing? And uh, they actually the anti the uh, antibody treatment. It was they they didn't the the disease was mild enough in their case they didn't recommend it so they didn't get it and they were fine. But 
Although that's kind of, although with Paxlovid, you're supposed to take it really early before. That, right, the that's what I thought, severe. so I was confused, but I, they had they had mild cases and recovered just fine. So. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, and the other thing with Paxlovid. Thank God they were vaccinated, right, Robbie? Oh, you're not actually going to come out and say that, are you? By social media, you know, like ivermectin or like fluvoxamine. And these are drugs that you are supposed to take really early on. And they were, so they were willing to do that for the clinical trials for the limited clim- clinical trial for drugs like Paxlovid or, or Molnupiravir, but unwilling... Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, no! I got a better one for you. Some of those that work forces are the same that fuck horses. Louisiana officer faces 40 charges after recording himself having sex with animal. Apparently this happened three years ago, but who knows when it actually happened. Now this, this is a dude who definitely lives in sexual anarchy. You live in sexual anarchy? On these other drugs that are generics that are out there, like the FDA now just swatting down fluvoxamine saying, no, we're not going to, you know, uh, we just, we don't think that that's an effective treatment because we don't have enough data on it. You know, well, where's the data on this other stuff? But they're still putting it out there. But you just said they conducted the trials on unvaccinated people. I want to know why it would be different with vaccinated people. I don't get it. You know, we know we know the data now. Oh, oh, oh. Do, you, do you think the fucking vaccination changes my DNA or some shit? Some stupid shit like that? For with these new variants that are coming out, um, even with the vaccines, that they're waning drastically in efficacy because of these new variants that are coming out. Lots of people are recatching COVID or and even they're saying within a couple months time with these new variants, if they're if they're moving fast enough. Um, and yet, you know, there, where's the robust discussion on this? Why are we not? You know, why are companies still mandating this for people and especially children? They're talking about lowering the efficacy. I would assume that doctors, virologists, epidemiologists, the researchers who developed this shit are having these robust discussions. And if you or I were to sit in on them, we wouldn't know what the fuck they were talking about. Especially you, Kim, because you are stupid. The barometer for children when it comes to the vaccine for preschoolers because parents are so desperate to get their young five under five-year-olds vaccinated that the FDA has announced that they're going to lower the efficacy level that they re- that they require in order to get one out to kids faster. How is this not becoming more of a discussion for people? Is you know that's when when you say efficacy, Kim, do you mean it's efficacy in preventing transmission or it's efficacy in making the effects of COVID less severe when you get it? I think both. I think that they're talking about actually low. I, well, actually, I you I, don't know shit severe disease because that's the only thing that the fda has actually been looking at they haven't been none of these vaccines have been um approved for stopping the spread that was never actually in the in the documents so for efficacy as far as reducing severe illness yeah which is why i am i am dumbfounded by the fact that rot weakers keep saying well people who are vaccinated against covid you can still spread it yes people still caught polio after being vaccinated that's not the way vaccines work, you stupid people. <laughs> Do you think we're stupid? You think we're fools? All right, that's the stories I have for you tonight. I 
kind of went short tonight, so we can go back to election coverage. Tomorrow we're gonna talk about Elon Musk and Twitter and Musk's mother and 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 fucking uh, um, magazine covers, all kinds of fun shit. Be sure to tune in tomorrow. For them, they weren't able to get there, but you can see one. This is Appalachia. This is essentially West Virginia. Betterman wins in Pennsylvania. Represents in Congress. He was able Hell to yeah. win a special election in 2018 in a district that Donald Trump had carried two years earlier by more than 30 points. And, and it wasn't because of scandal of the incumbent or anything like that. Uh, so the state has changed from these blue counties. And you look at 2020, this is Allegheny County. This is where Pittsburgh is. Uh, and most of the Democratic votes now come from the Philadelphia area and this part of the state, as well as Pittsburgh. And in the middle part of the state, you have essentially what is a, a T. And Republicans have really figured out how to run up the score in those areas. It's changed the nature of the state. But now if you're a Democrat and you want to win statewide, you have to figure out how to excite the people in these areas of the state, unlike 2004, unlike John Kerry. And that's why you have someone like Bob Casey, who's the state's senior senator, uh, who announced last week that he would vote to uh, codify Roe v. Wade as federal law. Originally, uh, when he first ran statewide, like his father before and Bob Casey Sr., he was against abortion rights, but he has changed his position because of how the state has changed. And, and you can see that in these two maps. You know, James, you, you talked about how, you, how any Democrat has to really activate that, that far, that, that right juice. Mastriano, the Trump-backed ultra-maga, looks to be uh, this incident when he, when he running away with the governorship, up by about 10%. Man, uh, who ended up being in Pennsylvania. a black jogger. This was brought up in debates. Uh, Malcolm Kenyatta in particular uh, tried to sort of get him to address this. He didn't seem comfortable. He didn't quite seem to know how to address it in that debate setting. Or how, how, to, how, to, how to Beasley in the, the North Carolina Democratic so primary for the um, open Senate seat. So no, no, it's not an open Senate seat. My bad. Months. Libby, Joe Biden carried Pennsylvania in 2020 by 82,000 votes. And a lot of that margin came from the Philadelphia area. Uh, one of the challenges for Fetterman is that Republicans are going to use this against him in the general election. And you're right, he did not have a good answer. He struggled to talk about it. Uh, he's very uncomfortable. Basically, his answer boils down to when he pulled the shotgun. Oh, it is an open sense. He was black, uh, which isn't entirely believable. Uh, the problem, and we saw this in 2020, is that Donald Trump, on the very same day in Pennsylvania, was running ads targeting black voters in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, saying that Joe Biden was the candidate of mass incarceration and opposed criminal justice reform. And in the predominantly white media markets of the Keystone State, Trump was running ads the very same day saying Joe Biden wants to defund the police and he's soft on crime. So what you are certain to see from any of the three, uh, the three Republicans who win the uh, the Senate primary tonight, any of these three people, but especially Kathy Barnett, is, are going to be running ads targeting African-American voters, trying to lower the African-American vote by saying John Fetterman pulled a, a shotgun on an unarmed black man. And uh, Connor Lamb and Malcolm Kenyatta warned about that. Ultimately, progressive voters in that state's primary didn't really 
care. Uh, but th- this is going to be a, a live issue in what's going to be a very nasty, very expensive, very competitive general election. I want to bring Rhonda Colvin into the conversation uh, on John Fetterman. Rhonda, let me read to you something that our colleague Michael Shear wrote. He said that Fetterman gives a chance for Democrats to find out whether they can arrest the building red wave and their declining white working Irwin class. Erwin up on Lee. I believe Lee was the progressive. Easily into any partisan box. Again, that was written by our colleague Michael Shearer. Uh, what do you make of the questions that Fetterman will have as he heads into this general election? Yeah, that, that kind of fits uh, what we were saying all along, that he does not fit this sort of partisan mold. And that also is something that whoever is going to be uh, his challenger on the Republican side in this uh, U.S. Senate race will also likely be. So the, it's going to probably be very interesting debates if they do take part in debates uh, in the coming months toward the general election. Uh, but again, it, it really does show that voters, uh, Democratic voters, too, uh, in a sense, want to send someone to Washington who uh, they believe will uh, somewhat shake things up or challenge things. Uh, and that's what I think they found in, in John Fetterman. He was also a well-financed uh, competitor in this race as well. So uh, that means there's uh, more money to do ads with, more money to have a good social media game. And we saw that out of his campaign as well. Thanks so much, Rhonda. Let's go to Pennsylvania, where our colleague Jorge Rebus is standing by. He's been tracking the Republican Senate primary race. For Amnestic. The so, Congratulations today, on your new uh, phone. Intervention in this race from former President Donald Trump. How is his influence affecting the campaigns? McCormick up on Oz by about three points right now. Three percentage points. Presence on, on the campaign trail for these candidates. And early on, Trump had endorsed Sean Barnett, who dropped out in November. He's actually right behind me right now, uh, who has now endorsed McCormick. Um, once Barnett, uh, I'm sorry, once Parnell dropped out, uh, Trump turned his endorsement. Yeah, Barnett is the black lady. He's still very much running. You know, Oz is many years on TV being this this beloved TV personality, which definitely influenced his endorsement. Um, and so despite, you know, endorsing uh, Oz, his influence was on the other candidates as well. I mean, both McCormick and Barnett talked a lot about uh, pushing Trump's policies, whether it was, you know, finishing the border wall, um, issues having to do with... Um, you know, uh, the, su- the supply chain issues, inflation, uh, talking about how Trump was a better businessman and be a better leader. They were both talking very much about finishing and completing Trump's policies uh, as president. So one of the things we um, we noticed... I was- Bo Hines looks like he's going to win in North Carolina's 13th. Pennsylvania for a rally that, that former President Trump had for Dr. Oz. Um, and the reaction to Dr. Oz was, was muted, to say the least. I mean, overall, the, the, the rally was sparsely attended. It was pouring rain. It was at a fairgrounds. I think I was wearing a suit. It was- it's sad that Irwin is going to win this race, it looks like. Summer Lee seemed like she was a very good candidate. Based an onslaught of uh, uh, Israel... APAC spending onslaught in the final days of the Pennsylvania primary. End of March, Emily's List, the Democratic organization that backs uh, women candidates who support abortion rights, commissioned a poll to test the state of the U.S. House race in Pennsylvania's 12th district. What they found heartened them. The group's pick 
State Representative Summer Lee enjoyed a commanding 25-point lead over her closest competitor, Attorney Steve Irwin. Not that one. Drawing 38 to his 13%. Voters were presented with more information about the candidates. Lee drew 49% of respondent support to Irwin's 21, and a third contender, University of Pittsburgh law professor Jerry Dickinson, got 15 Poll conducted by uh, GQR also found Lee holding a comfortable 29-plus approval rating among likely primary voters. For Irwin, a former Republican U.S. Senate staffer, it would take something of a miracle to turn no, former Republican U.S. Senate staffer. Now running as a Democrat. Huh. Against a progressive. Huh. It would take something of a miracle to turn numbers like that around in the six weeks that remained, but ahead of Tuesday's contest... Irwin's backers have attempted to close the gap with something else, a tsunami of outside spending funneled through two major pro-Israel organizations that have made it their mission to undermine progressive Democrats in contested primaries. Less than a month, the United Democracy Project, the Political Action Committee for the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, or APAC, poured more than $1 million into ads in Pennsylvania's 12th District. The bulk of the messaging attacked Lee, Though just over a hundred grand went to uh, materials supporting Irwin, in total, United Democracy Project has spent more than two point three million on the race so far. Disgusting, fucking disgusting! It looks like Irwin is going to win because of it. He's having to shout over that crowd there for David McCormick as he started to tell us about Trump's trajectory in that race. He said that he entered, he he endorsed rather Sean Parnell at first, who, who dropped out which created a vacuum and an opening. How pivotal do you see uh, Trump's decision-making process and the ultimate endorsement of Dr. Oz as factoring into this race? Well, it was a, a huge factor, but I think this is an instance, Libby, of Donald Trump trying to keep up with his followers uh, more than leading them, uh, as we saw with him endorsing the guy who's likely to win in the... Um, his endorsement of Oz... Did uh, that race hurts. Lee would have been good. Oz Lee would have been an, um, another member of the Progressive Caucus. It's sort of a turning point. Uh, Trump was able to pick J.D. Vance, the winner in Ohio, in that Senate primary. The candidate that he actually went and campaigned for hard, uh, Charles Herbster in Nebraska, lost. Herbster! Uh, you know, Dr. Oz doesn't really feel MAGA. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's a, a reality TV show guy like Trump. Uh, he hasn't spent that much time living in the state. But... Trump and especially, I'm told Melania Trump really like Oz. I hadn't I hadn't seen them report it, uh, so I wanted to update you. Chuck Edwards is up on Madison Cawthorn, really hard by about two three percentage points. Two percentage points. Security advisor McCormick spent a lot of money, uh, hired a bunch of former Trump people, including Hope Hicks. Uh, in, in and that's with eighty percent of the precincts reporting. Uh, but if someone like Kathy Barnett is able to pull it out. Uh, and she's had momentum. Uh, it, it, it really looks like Madison Cawthorn will not be returning to Congress. Edwards, 34% of the vote. Cawthorn, 31% with 80% of the precincts reporting. It's not a lock. It's not a lock that he'll win, but that's a pretty significant lead with 80% of the precincts. The 
be I mean, Sean Parnell was his first choice, and he did drop out after very serious allegations of spousal and child abuse, including uh, choking his estranged wife. Thank you, James. Well, one issue looming large for some voters is a potentially seismic decision this summer from the Supreme Court on the issue of abortion. And our colleague, national political reporter Annie Linsky, has been looking at how it's affecting the primary races in North Carolina. Uh, Annie, how were candidates talking about it on the campaign trail in recent weeks? Hi, Libby. Um, yeah, you know, I was out in um, North Carolina um uh, earlier this month to um, listen to Sherry Beasley, who has um, won the Democratic nomination to be um, a Senate uh, hopeful in North Carolina. And she talked about abortion and abortion rights in this sort of expansive way, where she would say that she's worried about uh, abortion being eroded, but that it may be the first step and that it could show that um, civil rights and even voting rights would be, you know, voting rights and civil rights could also be eroded if abortion, if the abortion decision goes the way that oh, yeah. um, memo from the Supreme Court suggests that it would. So it, it was an attempt um, that was interesting, you know, but Democratic strategists and Republican strategists have both privately said that this abortion issue may not be the game changer that it sort of was, has been initially covered as. Um, but what Beasley is doing here is trying to connect abortion rights to civil rights and abortion rights to vote and hey hey here's the thing is like that's one of the reasons they leaked the memo it was most certainly i mean we don't know this for a fact but it was most certainly the conservative side of the court that leaked the memo to soften the blow so that it wouldn't be an issue come november we're all going to be we're all going to be ready for it now if if the decision came down in fucking july august much much closer to the election yeah, I mean, I think one of the surprising things when you're out... Looks like Mastriano will indeed get the nomination for governor in Pennsylvania. ...for people, to voters to be upset right now. There's inflation and these gas prices and shortages on everything from baby formula to couches and furniture. Um, prices for meat are going up. So there's a lot of kitchen table economic reasons for voters to be upset. And so it was surprising to me, at least, to be out on the campaign trail and really hear the biggest response... For from crowds were when Republicans went kind of in a different direction and started talking about culture war issues, you know, education, of course. parental rights and education, um, opposition to critical race theory, abortion, um, you know, talking about trans rights. I mean, these are the sorts of t- cultural values, touchstones that really drove an audience. McCormick's still up on Oz by about... Two or three percent. With um, Donald Trump recently, and when he talked about trans rights um, in sort of a very derisive way, the audience was so went so wild in support of what he was saying um, that Trump even paused to say, "Oh wow, I'm surprised that I'm getting this kind of response." Wow, her graphics just disappeared. Talk more about North Carolina in just a moment with you, but first I want to go to the state and talk to our colleague Lee Powell, who's been covering the attempts by Congressman. Madison Cawthorn to retain his seats. Now, Cawthorn represents far western North Carolina. and Looks like he's going to lose. Tonight, he has made a lot of headlines that have reached far beyond the Tar Heel State. So tell us about this race and this controversial. 86% reporting. He is down by three points. Again, Libby, uh, from uh, the Ted Budd uh, watch party uh, here outside of Winston-Salem, uh, kind of winding down. Uh, 
minutes, a few minutes uh, before you came to me, uh, Ted Budd had an impromptu kind of press conference uh, behind me with a circle of cameras. So uh, the crowd's still here, uh, people still filtering in and out. Uh, but of course, a victorious night uh, for Ted Budd in that uh, Senate race. The other race that Ted Budd. He's an ultra MAGA. Is that far western North Carolina race uh, with Madison, Cawth- Madison Cawthorn? I, I think I think Cawthorn's losing. About seventy percent of reporting so far. It's about a about a two. It's eighty six percent. And it is race, it uh, is three percent exactly right now. Uh, candidate right now, um, a state senator, uh, Chuck Edwards, who is uh, leading. But when we talk about Madison Cawthorn, he is the youngest member of the House. Eighty nine percent reported. And, you know, he's kind Three of percentage points that go far beyond a, a first uh, a freshman member of Congress. And, um, you know, I have a card here to kind of go down some of those uh, headlines and scandals that have kind of been generated because I don't want to miss uh, all of them. But I am going to leave out a few. Uh, uh, this goes back to there were sexual mis- uh, misconduct allegations uh, while he was in college as a teen. Uh, there's been a, a sexually suggestive uh, video of him uh, in women's clothing that surfaced while he was on a cruise a while back. Uh, hey, he looked cute in those pictures. Perversion in Washington. He was invited to an orgy where there was cocaine use. Uh, he has been caught with handguns uh, not once but twice at North Carolina airports. And there's also been inside. I thought it was more than that. I thought it was like four times now. A few things. Uh, there's a feeling that he's neglected his district, uh, insulted those in power uh, that could, in fact, uh, help him. Madison Cawthorn, you know, a first term incumbent. We know that whenever first term incumbents are the most vulnerable, it's in their first reelection bid. And so you've got that dynamic along with the onslaught of negative news that has descended on him that has really made this Republican primary in the mountains of North Carolina a hugely competitive race. When the first congressional map was released by the legislative Republicans, Cawthorn made the astonishing... Which, which by the way, he represents Asheville. They've, they've cracked Asheville is what they've done. They've cracked Asheville. If Asheville was all encompassed in one congressional district... Cawthorn wouldn't stand a chance. It would be Democratic. Bad blood between Cawthorn and the legislative Republican leaders in Raleigh. The big question, I think, in a lot of people's minds are, are the voters of Western North Carolina just tired of all the shenanigans going on that Cawthorn has brought upon himself? Or will Trump's support of Cawthorn be something that will overcome that uh, worry about whether this is the right guy for the position. What's extraordinary about this race is that the other uh, North Carolina state, uh, U.S. Senator Tom Tillis, uh, has in fact campaigned and endorsed uh, Chuck Edwards, uh, who is running against uh, Madison Cawthorn. Very rare that you see a fellow Republican. Cawthorn is not gaining ground. Uh, Another percentage point has been reported, and he lost ground. Madison Cawthorn will probably lose his seat tonight. Uh, good judgment and situa- situational awareness and appears to be failing his constituents. For his part, Cawthorn says that this is a coordinated drip campaign, nothing more than that, uh, and it's assault by, an assault by liberals and the political establishment in North Carolina against him uh, because they want to stop Trump. Well, Cormick is pulling away from Oz, but once again, still... A lot of the vote left. 
that uh, congressional district to Asheville, to the mountains uh, to the west of there. Uh, we'll just have to see who comes out ahead uh, when it comes to Madison Cawthorn and the folks who are running against him. Back to you. Thanks so much, Lee Powell. Well, Republicans need to flip only one Senate seat to take the majority, which makes today's... And I don't think they're going to do it. I think the two open seats... Three open seats. There's three open seats. I'm sorry. There are two open seats I think the Democrats are going to pick up, Pennsylvania and Ohio. Sometimes you have to see to believe. And I think it's very possible they pick up uh, Kentucky. I'm, I, it's going to be a struggle, but I think Charles Booker may pull out an upset over Senator Rand Paul. Rand Paul is a piece of shit, and Kentucky deserves so much better. And polling showed Booker might have been able to give McConnell a run for his money. In 2020, had he been the nominee, instead the Democratic Party backed Amy McGrath, and she lost. Charles Booker may actually be able to take out Rand Paul. Thirty-three percent reported in the uh, Republican primary in Pennsylvania for the Senate seat. David McCormick. McCormick can uh, 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 still maintaining his lead. Another round of votes came in, didn't change it. McCormick still up by about two and a half percentage points. Beautiful city of Bridges, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And we'll also go to the skyline of the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, with its famous city hall. Well, good evening. Voters in five states are selecting nominees in some of the most consequential primaries of the year. I'm Libby Casey, and you are watching a special report from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Here are the latest headlines. The Associated Press projects Senator Rand Paul won his Republican primary in Kentucky. He will face off in November with Democrat Charles Booker. In North Carolina, the Associated Charles Press Booker is the shit. Expect to hear a lot about Charles Booker. Congressman Republican Ted Budd in the Senate midterms. Our eyes are on the Senate race in Pennsylvania, which has had a series of last-minute dramatic turns. Ginger, not only is Paul horrible, Booker is incredible. Booker is an incredible candidate. Let's go now to Jeremy Bowers to find out what we know at this hour about tonight's marquee contest. Jeremy? Hey, Libby. You know, the first thing I want to talk about tonight is the Pennsylvania governor's race, especially in the GOP. Now, this is looking very intriguing, and let me tell you why. With about 35% of the vote in, we see that Doug Mastriano is doing exceedingly well. He's got about 40% of the vote. Yep, yep. I do believe he's going to be the governor. Far away second place, just over 20%. And Bill McSwain, what a fall. Uh, earlier this week, there was a three, uh, looked like a neck and neck three-way race here, and McSwain and Barletta are both falling off. Now, that 35% of the vote is a significant amount, but there's still quite a bit of the race left to go. The thing we're going to be watching tonight... Uh, 20 points is a lot to overcome. ...pattern continues. Lou Barletta doing very well in the east and the northern, northeast parts of the state. But as we get to the more... 34% reported in the Senate race, Oz losing ground to McCormick really racking up the score out there. We're going to want to watch, though, to see if there are any additional areas, maybe in the southeastern part of the state, where Barletta might be able to pick up some occasional votes. But this is one of those races that's starting. Go ahead. Let's flip back to 
North Carolina here, 91% reporting. Madison Cawthorn down by about three percentage points, 2.9%. 91% reporting. Not looking good for Cawthorn right now. A few points behind, and then Kathy Barnett really kind of holding up the, the, the tail end of the, that vote with about 23%. Now, there is a little bit of vote left to count, and it's not like McCormick has this one fully wrapped up. Oz has been closing in as the votes get counted. Now, nobody is uh, voting anymore. Uh, just to be clear, what's really happening is we're seeing sort of figments in the vote counting process here in Pennsylvania. But a lot of that early vote was strong McCormick, and Oz is now catching up a lot in the Election Day vote. We'll be watching, too, to see if Barnett picks up any additional Election Day vote. Uh, and what that does to the rest of the race, is she pulling off uh, Oz voters or is she pulling away from McCormick voters? Now, there's two other races that I want to get us in on, and those are both in the state of North Carolina. They are House races. The first one is North Carolina's 11th Congressional District. We've been talking about this race quite a bit tonight. Madison Hey, Cawthorn, you about to lose your job. was behind quite a bit early in the night, and this is an interesting race for two reasons. First, it's an interesting race because of the difference between the election day vote and the early vote. Edwards raced out to a lead in that early vote, which is counted first in North Carolina. But then Cawthorn is catching back up with a pretty strong performance in the election day vote. What we're waiting for now is a handful of precincts that are outstanding, and that's where the geographic part of the story really kicks in. A lot of those precincts are waiting for us in Buncombe County, which is home to Asheville. It's the largest city in the district and really where the majority of the population is. And Edwards is doing much better here than Cawthorn. He's got about a 10% lead. And if we expect that lead to continue, um, what we would see is in those handful of precincts outstanding that Edwards would continue to hold on. But we're going to have to watch that because it's also fully possible that Cawthorn will be able to pull away a little bit of vote there. There's only I, I assumed Asheville had been cracked. It's not. It's actually all in the district. My bad. It's going to be very close, and we're going to have to wait. But North Carolina is excellent at counting votes, and they will almost certainly get us to 100% tonight. So we're going to be watching that one close. Now, there is one other race in North Carolina I'd like to talk to you about, and that happens to be in the 4th Congressional District. This one is an intriguing race for a couple reasons. The first is that it's an establishment Democratic candidate versus a more progressive challenger. Valerie Fushi uh, has already shown enough tonight with 99% of the vote in to pick up a, a check mark from the Associated Press. Nita Alam was the uh, more progressive candidate. It's really one of the stories of the night tonight is that the progressive candidates are really showing off a little below where we would have expected based on their polling and maybe some of their fundraising efforts. And some of those more establishment Democratic candidates are really starting to look pretty strong. Now, we've got our eyes in Pennsylvania. Uh, a bunch of votes there. Um, but if anything else changes, we'll make sure to get it to you, Libby. But until then, it's back to you. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Let's get the, get the, blah, blah, blah. Let's get the latest. I've got this here on what's going on in North Carolina. All right. I'm going to go take a piss. And when I come back, we're going to be getting close to knowing about Madison Cawthorn. About Madison Cawthorn and, and what we know about his political future. We got a great explanation there from Jeremy about how the votes are being counted at this hour. What questions are in your mind? Whether there's going to be a runoff. You know, the, the, the threshold in North Carolina is 30% to avoid the runoff. And just a few days ago, the feeling was that Cawthorn might be able to clear the bar uh, because the vote against him was so divided. But it does seem like there was some 11th hour coalescence. Uh, and it does seem like 
a lot of Republicans are just exhausted of the scandals. They're exhausted of the uh, changing districts and venues. They're exhausted about his fights with Republican leaders like Tom Tillis. Uh, and, and it does say something because this is a guy who came in two years ago uh, widely seen as sort of the, not just the youngest congressman, but really a future leader of the GOP. And uh, he really, you know, is someone who flew too close to the sun. Uh, but he still may force a runoff here uh, in what could be a, a pretty contentious two-way race. I want to bring Rhonda in on this. You know, Rhonda, you cover the halls of Capitol Hill and, you know, Cawthorn quickly emerges one of these highly visible figures. As James pointed out, there was a lot sort of banking on him, hoping that he was this young, new generation. Uh, but uh, he was part of this coalition in the Republican Party that's often putting pushing this radicalized idea. That's batshit crazy? Rather, that, that has that's batshit crazy. In his own party. I, I would say, though, Ron, it's not just his... The vote tally is not moved in yet in the Cosmoreland race. But it's when he talks about things like being invited to orgies and accusing members of, of, of Congress of participating in that. that really Oz uh, is indeed gaining in Pennsylvania. In the halls of Congress. Yeah, it was around the time of that, that comment about being invited to uh, Republican orgies is, is when you saw Republican... I think we're having a problem with your audio, Rhonda, so we're going to work that out in just a minute. Boy, howdy are they having a problem with her audio. The I believe that is the camera microphone picking her up. Uh, what he's talking about in some salacious terms about other members. Both. It's not just the temperament issue. Uh, and so Oz is closing in on McCormick. Uh, he is someone who... Uh, was part of the small group that voted against. We had another. We had another vote uh, dump there. Oz loses a little ground, saying that the United States should not be supporting Ukraine in the war against Russia, uh, and has opposed all the aid packages. Has voted against uh, leadership. I'm not high enough for this shit. Uh, a lot of things where he really, there was no point to it, uh, other than to sort of troll Republicans. And so that did make him a lot of enemies in his own party. James, what about efforts uh, to focus on other members of the Republican Party who've also come under scrutiny for, for some of their more radical statements? Yeah, it, 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 you know, we, we had a primaries last week in West Virginia. And, you know, we've talked about Nebraska tonight. We haven't talked as much about West Virginia. And there it was a member-on-member member contest because of redistricting to, you know, the... Member-on-member member contest? So that sounds like a sexual anarchy to me. You live in sexual anarchy? Trump endorsed uh, Alex Mooney. And uh, in part, Trump said, uh, because David McKinley, the other incumbent, voted for Biden's infrastructure bill... And he didn't want Biden to get a political win of any kind. Uh, and Alex Mooney winning that race pretty handily last week by more than 20 points. Uh, and now saying pretty openly that he wants to run against Joe Manchin for Senate. I love how I, uh, I, I was arguing with a right winger the other day. And uh, they told me, why are we sending money to Ukraine instead of working on our infrastructure here? And I'm like, you were against the infrastructure bill. Like, well, of course I was against that bill. That was just a giveaway. I'm like, shut the fuck up, dude. Seriously, shut the fuck up. Chris Rhonda. 
Well, on the question of Madison Cawthorn and the response that uh, members of Congress have given him, uh, it's been a, a few months after these uh, contra controversies have come out that you've heard uh, first other members of uh, the GOP caucus. 92% reported in North Carolina. It's hanging strong at Madison Cawthorn down by 3%. Uh, speaking out against him. Uh, there was even reports that some GOP lawmakers have sort of taken him aside uh, to talk to him about his rhetoric. Uh, but again, he remains competitive, as we've seen from uh, Jeremy's rundown there of uh, his percentages right now. He is a competitive candidate. His district seems mixed between uh, giving him another chance and or some saying that they, they don't like his style. And they also point to the fact that he hasn't gone to some of the debates against some of his opponents that have been held in North Carolina this cycle. And also some are, are pointing to his voting uh, record here on the Hill. Uh, he has had a number of missed votes, uh, and it's actually below the, uh, it's above average, above average for uh, missed votes. So there is a lot to uh, criticize Cawthorn about. But again, this race belongs to his district and his constituents and whether they decide if he should return to uh, Washington after the general election. And, uh, you know, there's a question if he pulls through and this avoids a run. That's looking like a no. And he uh, is able to pass through that. What will uh, Republicans here on the Hill do? Um, is this a, another question of where they may strip his committee assignments uh, or try to isolate him, much like uh, some of the other uh, members of Congress where they've had to handle this, too? I'm thinking Marjorie Taylor Greene. Did anybody catch what the threshold is for a runoff? the House GOP caucus has handled that. So uh, there are a lot of questions that likely won't be answered tonight, um, but I, I think he leaves uh, open a, a real big question for uh, the House GOP in terms of what do they do with him as a member of Congress. They have to clear a 30% threshold, and right now... A national political reporter who covers former President Trump and his supporters... Edwards his would, would indeed win over Cawthorn. ...among Republicans to unseat Cawthorn. Tell us more about this internal Republican effort. Yeah, absolutely. He, what happened is he made a lot of enemies and he gave them a lot to work with. Um, so, you know, the long string of scandals became fodder for $1.7 million in super PAC attack ads. But, you know, there also had to be the, the money available. Check back in with Pennsylvania. McCormick extending his lead, but just a little bit. Still about uh, 2% over Dr. Oz with 42% of the vote being tallied. North Carolina still at 92%. Edwards creeping away from Cawthorn. What could sustain his career? And he didn't have to do all the things that ordinarily a, mem a freshman member of Congress does to, you know, have relationships with the, the, the senior uh, members of the party, the elders in the party, uh, the senators. Yeah, you got to go to those orgies and do some coke with them. Fuck their wife. You can sort of think of it as a test between the power of MAGA celebrity and more like that old-fashioned... Uh, political pull, state party politics. And right now it's looking really, really close. You know, Isaac, another question this raises is just how important constituent services is, uh, because we've heard critics, including Senator Tom Tillis, one of the North Carolina senators, uh, criticize Cawthorn for lacking in basic constituent outreach and services and, and doing the, the basics that House offices are often looked to 
to do. How do you, you damn right, Dustin. The deep state is taking him down. I'm surprised he's actually uh, putting up this much of a fight. Something that Senator Tillis cited um, as his reason for opposing Cawthorn. Um, and he was specifying that he was picking up some of the slack from constituents who couldn't find help in Congressman Cawthorn's office and were then coming to him. Um, now, Congressman Cawthorn's office pushed back on that and pointed to the number of cases that they solved. Um, so wouldn't it be interesting if uh, Cawthorn loses and decides to cooperate with the January 6th committee? He's like, hey, you know, I know something about some shit. And this question of Donald Trump's endorsement versus which candidate can sort of prove their more MAGA. What does MAGA mean now uh, to donors and on the campaign trail? Does, does Donald Trump still own virtue signaling? It's virtue well, signaling. Uh, we have Kathy Barnett, um, one of the Senate candidates, uh, taking a very firm view on that, and, and her answer being no, that it's not Trump's movement, um, and the movement doesn't follow Trump, but that, um, as she put it, something like, you know, Trump doesn't own it, and, and he's following us. Um, and surging at the end of the race here, um, despite not having Trump's endorsement and that Trump actually endorsed someone else. And a lot of that energy was coming from um, sort of running as a ticket, uh, if you will, with Doug Mastriano for governor. Um, and I believe that race has been called for him. And he did get Trump's endorsement just in the last few days. Um, and yeah, Mastriano is the one that the Democrats think they have a really good shot at beating. Grassroots momentum behind her is. We will see. Trump's formal endorsement for Dr. Oz is going to prevail, or or McCormick either. Yeah, and in addition to that grassroots effort, Isaac, the club. A strong Senate candidate in Fetterman will indeed help them pull off the. You have been doing some fascinating reporting. Win with the governor's race in Pennsylvania. And how it's supporting candidates. Talk to us about the power struggle between it and Donald Trump. Well, the Club for Growth was kind of acting like the bank of Donald Trump's endorsements for a lot of this cycle. They spent some twenty million still, dollars. Still, just two percent. Trump was opposing, and but met Oz behind McCormick, who, uh, candidates who Trump had endorsed, and uh, they were really the you know the biggest non-official party player in uh, in these races and in primaries. You know, that's they're 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 the biggest outside spending group by far. But then they found themselves on uh, you know crosswise with Trump in Ohio, where they were backing Josh Mandel, and then Trump came came in for J.D. Vance, and now they've taken this position contrary to Trump, supporting Kathy Barnett in Pennsylvania uh, against Dr. Oz, um, maybe looking to settle the score there and, and kind of get even and, and you know, kind of staking this claim on sort of who's more in I still can't believe that J.D. Vance pulled it out, but like... ...has their finger on the pulse of where the base is right Seems like kind of a weak candidate. It seems to both be a personal fight, but but it's having major ramifications, Isaac, in terms of, you know, the ads, the endorsements, the the money that's flowing into these state contests. Absolutely. We'll definitely be continuing to focus on that and follow it. Thank you. Well, it's important to note as we talk about the races in Pennsylvania that the Commonwealth is very diverse in terms of geography and population, and it has a complex political makeup. So to give us a deeper dive into the landscape of Pennsylvania, let's head back to James Homan. I keep looking over at this damn fucking Madison Cawthorn race, and it ain't moving. Killing me. Candidates for Senate in Pennsylvania, this you know large state of, I believe, about 20 million people, all three of them didn't live in the state 
three years ago. Kathy Barnett was living <laughs> in Virginia uh, as recently Barbet as... Baggers. Dave McCormick was living in Connecticut and working at a hedge fund. Dr. Oz was living in New Jersey and doing his TV show, spending a lot of time uh, on both coasts in New York and Los Angeles. Uh, and so when you think about traditional politics... Uh, usually a, a candidate for statewide office would be in Congress or would ha- be in a position to have some kind of geographic base of support. The closest thing to that in the Republican primary is that McCormick has spent a lot of time in Allegheny County. That's Pittsburgh. Uh, he bought a house there. He uh, ran a company there. Pittsburgh is shit. Uh, he sort of just, just in case you guys didn't know, home. Pittsburgh uh, is shit. Kathy Barnett, after she moved from Virginia to Pennsylvania, ran a, a long shot race. She lost by 19 points uh, to uh, Madeline Dean in 2020. She never conceded. She claimed without any evidence that there was fraud. <laughs> that the election was stolen, yeah. Joe Biden. But she doesn't exactly have kind of a... a oh, God damn. She has a following more from appearing on Fox News pretty regularly and other... Hey, right now, I'm fucking... I'm trying to pay attention to to Madison Cawthorn. This should be the one that we get, like, in the next few minutes, I would assume. 92% of the vote. College-educated suburban uh, voters. We should have a winner soon. Question. Pennsylvania may be within, you know, another hour or two. You can sort of see the T. And... James Carville famously said after uh, running the uh, governor's campaign for Bob Casey Sr. that this central Pennsylvania region right here uh, is like Alabama, uh, except without any African-Americans. It is it is incredibly conservative. And in in this sort of primary, uh, a region like this is going to decide uh, in all likelihood who wins the Senate primary. Uh, And in McCormick, has done a good job at establishing himself as the sort of the uh, traditional conservative candidate. I don't think it's necessarily right to call him the establishment candidate, but he spent the last few days campaigning around the state, especially this part of the state, with Ted Cruz. Uh, and you see Ted Nugent making a play for the, kind of the conservative part of the state. He had a tele-town hall on Sunday night with Ted Nugent. Now, on the governor's race, if I could make a separate point, you see here... I thought he said Ted Nugent was making a play. I guess he meant Oz. Barletta is from. Uh, he is currently running second in the governor's race. He actually does have a real political coalition uh, that in, in a political base of support that he's built in this part of the state. This was traditionally Democratic. It's About half the vote is in in Pennsylvania. When you talk about Oz down by 1.8%. One of the reasons Barletta is keeping the the race the governor's race competitive is because of his support from this part of the state the Doug Mastriano the front runner the the leader who has Trump's endorsement he comes from down here uh, in the western region he's from southwest Pennsylvania uh, close to West Virginia uh, from sort of a rural area he represents in the state senate Fascinating, James, because Lou Barletta was like Trump before Trump was exactly. Trump, right? He, he was a very conservative, uh, almost like isolationist Republican uh, representing Pennsylvania. And to see now that that shift has has gone even farther to the right with Mastriano is just pretty incredible. There's some really there's some really uh, hard feelings right now. Uh, you talk to people in Barletta's camp. You know, uh, Trump urged Barletta to run for Senate in 2018. 
against Bob Casey. And Barletta didn't want to give up his safe house seat. Trump said, no, we can win the Senate race. Trump helped recruit him into the race. He ended up losing by 10 points. This time, Trump didn't want to endorse a loser. Well, James, we have a race call to make. So let's pause for a moment. Madison Calderwood is going to lose his seat. I assume. Now as the so governor is now calling the race in the Republican primary Pennsylvania. for Pennsylvania's governor's seat, and they are projecting that Doug Mastriano will indeed win. This gubernatorial race is an open seat because the current Democratic governor, Tom Wolf, is term limited. Let's head back now to the Post's election insights team for more on what this means for the Republican Party's hopes in Pennsylvania. Jeremy? Hey, thanks a lot, Libby. You know, this is one of those races where we were watching early tonight with like three or four percent of the vote in. We saw Lou Barletta and Bill McSwain doing particularly well. But then as that election day vote started to trickle in for Doug Mastriano, the story of the night became really apparent. And what that story was is that Doug Mastriano is doing very, very well in the state of Pennsylvania. And he's doing it uh, pretty much without regard for geography. He's doing very well in various parts of the state. He's doing well in the very conservative Western parts of the state. He's doing pretty well in Pittsburgh and in Philadelphia, at least in early returns, even in Wilkes-Barre. So one of the things that we're sort of watching tonight is what is the rest of the vote that we're going to count? About 56% of the vote in when we can project this race. What is the rest of the vote coming in going to tell us about the other candidates? Now, this- I once had a fantastic gyro salad in Wilkes-Barre. I still think about that fucking gyro salad. It's the best fucking gyro salad I've ever had in my life. And I still think about it to this day. It was like 20 fucking years ago I had that gyro salad. What it looks like uh, going to be representing the Republicans come this night. I assume it was like a real Greek diner I was in. I don't remember the name of the place. Updates. I'm going to hand it back to you. All right. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Let's go back to uh, James Homan. James? To add to what Jeremy said a second ago, Libby, uh, Josh Shapiro was unchallenged for the Democratic nomination. He's the current attorney general. He's been in politics there for 20 years at the the state legislature, the county level. Uh, Shapiro has been... Man, this North Carolina race has not moved. ...voting Mastriano. They say, you know, Doug Mastriano led the fight uh, to audit the January 6th election results. Doug Mastriano is against abortion. And they're running those on conservative channels, targeting conservative audiences. And the reason that the Shapiro campaign is doing that is because Bill McSwain, who we saw is just getting 15% of the vote, uh, spent about $10 million on TV ads. And uh, Mastriano had spent less than $200,000. So the Democrats wanted to give air cover because they believe he will be the easiest candidate to defeat in November. But, you know, be careful what you wish for. Uh, This has actually been tried before in Pennsylvania. Oh, God, has there been another fucking shooting? And the Republican thought that one of the city councilmen running for mayor would be really easy to beat. So he ran. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Republican Biden did indeed reverse the uh, position on Somalia. Probably should have included that earlier tonight, shouldn't I? Like this, that even someone like Doug Mastriano, who is incredibly extreme, who supports no Molly pirates, we rights, who completely falsely claims that uh, Trump won the state. Uh, who says that 95% reported like in North Carolina, Cawthorn, in a state like Pennsylvania, in a midterm environment. Down by well, it's one. Who's at the Capitol. Rhonda, you were at the site of the no, two. insurrection where people stormed the Capitol in what was a. I'm horrible at math. <laughs> 
people who was outside of the Capitol grounds that day was Doug Mastriano. Now, this is a Trump-supported candidate. Uh, he has Trump's blessing. He has been very involved in trying to essentially overthrow the votes of Pennsylvania like by supporting a Trump's point and a half. Uh, mess with the vote count there. Let's talk about what the what it means that that he is now what looking like uh, to this uh, statewide nomination. Yeah, it's been said that he uh, helped spearhead the the efforts there in Pennsylvania to throw out some of the electors' votes uh, because of his uh, false belief that uh, Trump won. So he has been a part of that uh, election denier camp for a long well, time. Well, remember, like. This is a statewide race. There's still uh, a lot of votes to be counted. He has said that. There are pictures. Uh, he has said that he did not enter the Capitol. Uh, but there, there is uh, some discussion of whether he went beyond some of the barriers that the Capitol Police had put up outside. So he was very much involved in this uh, narrative, the false narrative, that Joe Biden lost the election and Trump won. Uh, and it's something that has uh, raised eyebrows with the January 6th committee. He was subpoenaed uh, by that committee because of his role with that uh, situation and trying to uh, throw out or diminish the electors' votes there in Pennsylvania. Uh, he has also ha uh, helped organize bus rides here for that uh, rally, the Stop the Steal rally that preceded the insurrection. So he's very much a central figure when it comes to that uh, election uh, denier narrative. Uh, so it's it's quite interesting and notable to see his rise and see how popular he was among Republican voters who voted in the gubernatorial race, uh, primary race tonight. Um, and the question of if he has electability uh, going into the general, that uh, remains to be seen. I mean, it, it's a polar opposite situation where you have him up against the Democrat opponent in that race. So uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting. But, of course, it represents... What's up, Lady B? I spoke about earlier in, in the show. You know, I forgot all about fucking uh, uh, trolling that Austin Bennett do last night uh, right. until Media Winch brought it up. Like, oh, yeah, I did do that last night. Lady B was with me. That Trump won. And if you think about it, uh, electing a governor and or a uh, secretary of state, both of those offices are really involved with election laws in states. So it is killing me. It is killing me over here in this North Carolina congressional race. Who knows what Greater than 95% reported, but they have not made a call yet. It should be any fucking time. Uh, some trends that we are Beat cakes. throughout uh, this midterm cycle is the presence of election deniers. Rhonda, to your point, uh, I, I want to note that in Pennsylvania, the governor does get to appoint the secretary of state. And, of course, uh, that person is in charge of, of the elections. Uh, of some very important, uh, you know, uh, election realities here. Um, I also want to mention that uh, Mastriano has said he would repeal the state's law allowing for no-excuse absentee ballots, even though he's voted for it in the past. So North Carolina is killing me, greater than 95% reported. On both sides of the aisle. Madison Cawthorn looking like he's going to lose his seat. It looks like he's going to be above the 30% threshold, so it won't trigger a runoff perhaps make some voters feel uncomfortable with the choice of having him as uh, the, the lead. Votes are pouring in in Pennsylvania. Oz is closing in on McCormick. Uh, uh, Mastriano in a Still way. about a point and a half off of McCormick's lead. January 
January 6th. This With 60 percent of the vote in electors votes um, that could make a lot of people uh, feel very uncomfortable, even if they um, perhaps voted for him in the primary race. But, you know, there are months now away from that general election and they may change their minds. Uh, you may also see uh, some national uh, Democrats get in on that. As I mentioned, he was subpoenaed by the January 6th committee here on the Hill. They are about to start up a series of um, of uh, hearings. To dis- Seriously, watching this North Carolina race, it's killing me. It's not budging. It's not budging. All right, I need to refill my drink, take a little break for just a second. We're going to be with it for the long haul. We're going to be here until we find out a winner in the congressional race in North Carolina and the Senate race in Pennsylvania. But uh, I'm going to leave you guys with a commercial break. I will be right back. Now we turn to uh, YouTuber Justin Justin Freakin. The guy's, uh, you know, he's he's a formidable voice in the culture. Uncensored and unfiltered political talk and debate from a leftist perspective the day's top news stories and videos with astute social commentary. If not high enough for this shit. All we're establishing is this guy's wicked, sick aesthetic. Right-wingers are morons. You brought back the wrong kind of fucking cake, you idiot. I guess I got to thank Matt Walsh for introducing me to Justin Freakin'. Yet you're like, We're, we'll pray for somebody. You think you can telepathically communicate with a deity, and you have the audacity to say somebody else has a mental disorder. For the love of God. And we are back! I don't know what you're talking about, cursed animation. I do hella good animation. Well, thank you, Meat Cakes. I appreciate that. I tried to, uh... I was mainly doing it to uh, give Sparkles and I a break on Friday nights when we tend to go a little longer. And, um... She needs a pee-pee break. But also, it's good for for things like this, where we may be here for a little bit. Oz is still down by about a point and a half on McCormick. Still haven't budged over here in North Carolina. It's killing me. It was last updated four minutes ago. Last updated four minutes ago. Greater than 95% reported. Still... Edwards leading Cawthorn by about three percentage points. I expect them to call it for Edwards any time now. It's killing me. I think Madison Cawthorn is going to lose his seat tonight. In Pennsylvania, 65% reported. Like, it was just over 50% when I left. So, uh, the votes are just like... Uh, uh, are, what's the word I'm looking for? I was getting ready to say trickle. That's not the word. Not trickling in. Uh, they are rushing in. Still not the word I'm looking for. I'm not high enough for this shit. Dave McCormick has 32% of the vote to uh, Mopmet Oz's 30.8% with 65% of the vote reported. We'll go back to the live coverage from the Washington Post. 
And then I'll keep an eye over here, make sure that we don't miss anything. Be passed on the federal level uh, because it meant it, it could secure the future of uh, election security. But again, it's something that once it when gets I hear the words "secure the future," it always makes me cringe a little bit. The Democrats have not stopped talking about it. However, since that time, uh, there have been a number of uh, major issues here on the Hill that uh, lawmakers have sort of uh, put. You get a shitty Republican candidate. You get a shitty Republican candidate. And providing well, at least we got a fantastic Democratic now, candidate uh, out of Pennsylvania in John Fetterman. Uh, voting on we got a fantastic Democratic candidate in Kentucky like, uh, gas gouging by the name of Charles uh, Booker. Uh, this week in the, in the House floor. You get a shitty corporate Democrat candidate. You get a shitty corporate Democrat candidate. Um, is still on the front burner, but it's getting trumped by some of these other issues that uh, Democrats... Beasley want- in North Carolina that will be going up against... Uh, and, uh, sort of tout and celebrate uh, to their supporters. Rhonda Colvin, thank you. Who was the fucking Republican? Talk more about what this win by Doug Mastriano means in Pennsylvania. Ted Budd. Of will be Beasley versus Bud. Uh, that may be a pickup for Democrats in North Carolina. Uh, for but that's, that state has been trending red over the last 10, 15 years. Was putting out an ad talking about how very conservative and Trump-supported uh, uh, Mastriano was, right? So you have Shapiro doing an ad essentially promoting Rob Mastriano to the hardcore right-wing of Republican voters. It's dressed up as like a critique, right? But ultimately, what was that ad saying? And what does this mean for the messaging going forward? Well, it, it, it you know, Josh Shapiro has gotten what he wanted, but he, and, and, and there's no question, Doug Mastriano is, uh, you know, much easier to define and to beat than someone like Bill McSwain, the sort of very traditional U.S. attorney, you know, but this is not Tom Ridge's Republican Party anymore. Dick Thurborough. 65 percent of the vote in in Pennsylvania, Republican Senate primary. Dick Thorberg, thank you. The, um, you know, Rick Santorum obviously won in Pennsylvania, a very different kind of profile, although from the same part of the state, won in 1990. Uh, But so, you know, Mastriano could win this election. He could excite people. Uh, the Republican Governors Association just put out a statement congratulating Mastriano. And uh, <laughs> the, the uh, le- some organizations are indeed calling it for Edwards in North Carolina. The New York Times and the AP are not calling it for Madison Cawthorn. But local, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not someone that they're super uh, It looks like local about. outlets. It's going to be a much tougher race for Republicans than it would have been otherwise. Are reporting that he has indeed electing Republicans. lost. I should say, Libby, this strategy has worked before. I mentioned that it didn't work. No, in- business insider is reporting that he's been ousted. Republicans tried it in the mayor's race, but it did work in 2012 in the Missouri Senate race. There was a, a Republican primary. Uh, there were two candidates who would have easily defeated Claire McCaskill for re-election that year. She was the then-Democratic They are the only ones calling it for uh, Cawthorn. And uh, McCaskill ran ads promoting Todd Akins. Mediate is calling it for Edwards. Again, help him with conservative voters because he was being so outspent by John Bruner, uh, who is a a multimillionaire, centimillionaire businessman. Anyway, McCaskill spent a couple million bucks helping Todd Akin win the primary. 
And it worked because a week after the primary, Aiken went on TV and made his comments about so-called legitimate rape, ended up losing uh, that election. Uh, you know, we saw in next door Delaware. Well, that, that strategy did not work for Hillary Clinton when she elevated Trump now, did it? And then, uh, you know, losing the general election in what had been thought to be a very winnable race. So we'll see how this plays out. We're now going to be paying a lot more attention to the Pennsylvania governor's race uh, than, than we might have had Mastriano not been the nominee. Yeah, James, I can also remember uh, when Donald Trump became the Republican nominee for president, some Democrats said this is this is too easy now, right? That that, that voters will, of course... It should have been! Sky Comet, welcome! Hillary Clinton was desperate to face Donald Trump. We, we now know that uh, from, you know, everything that's come out about that campaign. We are watching two races right now, Madison Cawthorn's congressional race, which it looks like he's going to lose. And we should know any second now for sure if he will lose or not. We are watching the Oz... McCormick matchup in Pennsylvania in the Senate primary. ...midterm environment. Well, thank you, James. Let's go back to North Carolina. We've been watching a close race there for the 11th Congressional District, and that is where Madison Cawthorn has been trailing. So let's go to Jeremy Bowers for more. Jeremy? Thanks a lot, Libby. It's an absolute squeaker in western North Carolina right now. We've got 99% of the votes reported uh, approximately, and we are within a few percentage points. It looks like something like 1,500 votes are outstanding. And the difference between Cawthorn and Edwards is razor thin. Now, this is one of those races where because... It's more than 1,500 votes, sir. Until the very last minute, basically until all of the votes that we can uh, project are going to be available to come in before we're going to get any kind of race projection on this race. And it, it is very, very close. The places where we are waiting for votes still outstanding are largely in Henderson County and then in a handful of smaller counties to the very far west of the state. Now, some of these smaller counties in the very far west, they're quite rural. They're likely to be pretty strong Cawthorn areas. These are going to be precincts where he's probably going to do pretty well. The ones that we are more concerned concerned about are these in Henderson uh, Henderson County because uh, there ain't nobody in like this part of this there ain't nobody in there 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 aren't there aren't people there any more insight on that last I can tell you that for a fact I know now it's not just North Carolina that we are watching we are still watching the great state of Pennsylvania and what's happening in Pennsylvania tonight a handful of things but what we're keeping our eye on is that Republican Senate race now there is a GOP primary tonight then Dave McCormick is currently the leader about 70% of the vote has been counted in that race we estimate I bet you'd like to wouldn't you Scott Comet very close this race used to be a lot look how cute he is look how cute he is look how cute he is early vote and in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm just playing. Early in the but night. you never know. Like, I live in sexual anarchy. You live in sexual anarchy? Uh, earlier in the day. And then later, we're going to get that election day vote. And what we're seeing in the election day vote is that Dr. Oz is starting to climb back up. And it gives the appearance of him starting to catch up to McCormick. <laughs> no! These are all votes that, are, that were cast, you know. I'm sorry I insulted day. you like and that. The truth is all we're really seeing are, like, figments of the vote counting process. 72% of the votes reported in the Oz-McCormick race. really took a surge in the we polls. should know pff, within the and, next uh, hour or so uh, as a fairly conservative candidate we're watching to see if there are any other areas where she can pull votes away from dr oz and make this a an easier race for mccormick to hold on to but we've still got something ah. like 25 percent of the vote left outstanding
understanding, and we're going to have to keep our eyes on that as the night goes on. Now, when we have an update, Libby, I'll make sure to get it to you, but until then, we're going to hand it back to you. Their numbers did not match my numbers. Their numbers said Cosmore was like 29 to Chuck Edwards 36%, which would 100% hand him the, the race. Newsletter, uh, Dave, what themes are emerging to you tonight? Now, I know we're still waiting for, for a lot of critical races to come in, but but what are you seeing so far? Well, a couple of races that I haven't seen discussed as much are Democratic primaries uh, in North Carolina in kind of the Black Belt in the 1st District and the 4th District around Durham. These are. I had no clue he actually worked for the Washington Post. I just know him from Sam Cedar bringing him on every few weeks. They have lost in large part because APAC, the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee, and a lot of affiliated pro-Israel centrist PACs went in there in the last month and spent a lot of money, bundled a lot of money for the winners in those races. Uh, and so you have in Pittsburgh right now an open seat race for a safe Democratic seat. And this is the thing this year. The left is really playing to win safe Democratic primaries, places where nobody can argue that they're going to risk the seat in a general election. In Pittsburgh, you had uh, Summer Lee was up 25 points, according to Emily's List, which endorsed her. Who seemed like a fantastic candidate. It's sad that the... Came to campaign for her. APAC Uh, did that to her. Steve Irwin, this attorney who had no political profile... Used to be a Republican. Millions of dollars, more than $3 million spent for him by those PACs I mentioned. Uh, he is in a dogfight. He's been leading. She's been regaining ground as more of Allegheny, uh, which is Pittsburgh and the suburbs. As that's come in, she's done better. But she needs to win that county by a couple thousand votes to win the election. Again, this is a candidate who, before this money was being spent, uh, was, up by, uh, was up by enough that it, it wasn't even a contest. So that's one thing I'm, I'm watching. That's, that's a very close race. We'll have another race. When Oregon closes, we're going to have more tests for progressives in those, sta- in those races. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad you brought this up, Dave, because I wanted to ask you about the Summer Lee district uh, in particular, that, that fight there in the Pittsburgh area. Um, talk to us more about why all this money has been thrown into that race. Mm-hmm. Just dig into it a little more for us. Uh, well, one answer is that it works. So uh, Democratic majority... It sure did work. Not a spinoff of APAC, but this is all sort of the same donor network. Uh, they launched in 2019. United Democracy, which is an APAC spinoff pack, that launched last year. Uh, Pasty lefty ghoul. Ohio, remember Nina Turner lost <laughs> Like she was going to win in, in the summer of 2021. Their theory in that race is spend a lot of money on the airwaves. And yeah, you can Thank you for being a freaking follower. This candidate is divisive. This candidate. You pasty lefty ghoul, you. And if you have scandals or gaffes, you use them. So they would use somebody's you know, tax problems or somebody's record. <laughs> they had a pretty bad year in 2020. They tried this. It didn't work in a lot of races. It's been very effective this year. Uh, and that dynamic uh, is. Something that Democrats are just starting to wake up to. Uh, Bernie Sanders. Hasty lefty ghoul just followed me on Twitch. Uh, Thank you for being a freaking follower. Do something to stop super PACs from intervening in Democratic primaries. Uh, that because they went from, in very short time, in really a few weeks, these PACs went from groups that kind of spent ineffectively and couldn't overwhelm progressive mobilization to groups that can beat them. Uh, so the Summer Lee race is, is up in the air. But this uh, that's what happened to Nina Turner in Ohio. Ohio model. The model of Twice now, goddamn. These groups, and I talked to them for a story last week, they're looking at you know, 10 or 15 more races, including open seats and incumbents. So later this year, when Ilhan Omar is on the ballot, when Rashida Tlaib is on the ballot, and Cory Bush, these kind of news make Another Seattle viewer. There is a to get in there with a lot of money and beat them. Yeah, let's talk about North Carolina's fourth, and this is a contest between Valerie Fushi. I went into a pizzeria in Atlanta one time, 
the waitress, the first thing she said to me was, have you ever been to Portland? It seemed like you would fit in really well there. And I'm like, what? why are you judging me like that? Duke University, very liberal. Uh, she kind of started out in politics as a Bernie Sanders supporter, as an organizer. She's very young. She was going to be, especially with the what looks to be a loss for Madison Cawthorn, she's going to be the youngest member of the delegation if she if she won. Uh, Valerie Fouché was a black state senator. I it, assume it's going to be a loss for Madison Cawthorn. I'm I'm dying here. Was the kind of candidate? No, she, I wish they would give me some closure over uh, Nita Alam, but she was a strong candidate. Uh, for that Poor Lord, I'm on the entire other side of the country uh, from Portland. Alam had more national support. Um, Alam had uh, Elizabeth Warren raising money for these progressive groups. But Alam had been critical on. I I I have a friend that lives in Oregon, but thrown back at her. They were the reason. He lives in like white supremacist Oregon. She don't live in like cool Oregon. But Fouché ran as a reliable Democrat who was going to support progressive uh, agenda items. And when she was pressured on this money, and she was pressured, there was a state rep who had endorsed her and pulled the endorsement because she was so angry about all this PAC spending coming in. Fouché's defense was, it's a big tent party. People are allowed to spend money. Uh, that carried the day. She's, well, she's that's, a, that's a shitty argument then, isn't it? In a race where she, I'd say it began with both of them having some advantages. Neither is a clear favorite. Uh, it, and she's being lifted to a double-digit win thanks to that strategy. What lessons do we learn or what lessons will you be watching for? See, they're, the, they're, they're saying Edwards 36% over Cosworth's 29%. With an estimated 51% of the votes. There's, that's, that's way off. That's way the fuck off. And the vote tallies don't match up. 16,000, 13,000. Uh, Edwards has 30,000 votes right now, so this, their info is way the fuck off. Uh, the prospects. Game on TV advertising, uh, it is, it, they have not figured it out yet. Uh, and, and, and that is why you saw that Sanders letter today. They're sort of arguing, well, we can complain about how much money is being spent. We can raise attention about who is, who is doing this, but they don't have a strategy yet. I mean, you saw also, it. polls are showing Bernie Sanders in the lead among a likely primary Democratic candidates for 2024. I did a comedy video yesterday with a comedian talking about APAC and DMFI. It didn't go over very well. They were trying to do in a kind of John Oliver explainer way a message to higher information liberals and liberal donors about this PAC is no, is no good. They're trying to distort democracy. Uh, there, another thing I'd heard from, uh, I talked to Jeff Weaver, Bernie's, Bernie Sanders' former campaign manager who helped with Nina Turner. Uh, he was very frustrated. He called, he called this the Empire Strikes Back. I think he is, Dustin. I think he is. I think that's why the. I think that's why we had that leak of the memo a couple of weeks ago. You, what, what will happen? Will you have more progressives who take the Jill Stein route and say, "Okay, I'll run and get ten percent of the vote as a spoiler"? If, if you don't, if I'm going to be crushed by a pack anyway, uh, it's it's very active discussion what what they're doing here, and uh, it, I, I, I think it's more settled than Republican races. And I, mean, I, I think that's that's wild that Bernie Sanders, the only Jewish senator. No, I'm sorry, not the. A Jewish scandal senator. every six hours or something. Not the only Jewish senator. The most prominent Jewish senator. <laughs> talking about the problems with APAC. James, is this pitting uh, really a fight between progressive Democrats and, I'm not even going to say conservative Democrats, but but what's the word I'm looking for, James? Democrats who are more centrist, uh, but but really some of this is about targeted issues. Yeah, it's, it's they love to uh, play. It's the Corbin. It's the yeah, Corbin uh, playbook, but you can't play it on Bernie Sanders since he's Jewish. Ideologically, in a lot of cases, uh, some of it's insider versus outsider. 
you know, in the Oregon case where Kurt Trader is uh, facing a very tough primary and could lose. And like, he's not, he's not covertly Jewish either. Like, it's very clear the man is Jewish. Sword in the side of leadership on the Build Back Better negotiations and was sort of holding things up. Uh, to some, uh, North Carolina is uh, killing me. Uh, you know, he ended up kind of getting Joe Biden to weigh into that race on his behalf. And uh, we'll see if, if that matters at all. You know, it, it is really striking the degree to which Joe Biden hasn't gone really hard into a lot of these primaries. When we talk about the Pennsylvania Senate primary, I think back to 2010 and the Obama. Now, apparently, uh, Biden, uh, who lost the Eli, he's finally come to the conclusion he can't work with the Republicans. Republican for decades and decades. Uh, and similarly, you know, John Fetterman first came on. You're going to have into his presidency. He finally realized he can't work with Republicans. Senate in a crowded Democratic field that included members of Congress. Uh, but Chuck Schumer and the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee wanted Katie McGinty, uh, who a lawyer who had been environmental state secretary. Even even like uh, from the even socks. Uh, they wanted her to be the nominee. Democrats. Oh, uh, you can't see him. It's too dark down here. Sox is down here under the White House under the desk. Lost uh, to to Pat Toomey, and so this time it's really striking that uh, Chuck Schumer and the DSCC haven't gotten involved and intervened. North in Carolina. Similarly, the NRSC on the Republican you you, mi- you messed up your your Carolinas there, sir. Made for the more electable candidate, and so that has created to some degree a vacuum in some of these races. Hmm. Uh, Dave Weigel, let's talk about Pennsylvania and what you're watching there. Dave, um, you know, we're waiting to see how the Republican side of the Senate race plays out. Um, but we can reflect on the Democrat side, where Fetterman is projected by the AP to win. Woo-hoo! What John Fetterman to you as a candidate? Right, and I just spent a little time talking about progressive losses, but that is one where Fetterman, who endorsed Bernie Sanders for president twice, who had better at what, warlord? Better at what? Uh, he he was not very well liked by centrist Democrats in the party until he started winning. Uh, that's that is a win of. Sort- I've been to South Carolina, but I've only been a couple of times. I've spent a hell of a lot of time in North Carolina. Issues. I mean, he campaigned around the state as lieutenant governor to legalize marijuana. I've been to like all North Carolina cities. I partied up in Charlotte. Which, I've been to Boone. Popular isn't popular. Uh, but done a hell of a lot of fun shit in Asheville. Directly by his opponents in this race, both uh, Greensboro is a fun fucking time. Connor Lamb tried as things got closer to portray him as a socialist who'd lose the primary, but Fetterman actually wasn't. South Carolina got Myrtle Beach. That's where all the rednecks go for their beach vacation. They had problems with just his standoffishness, the fact. Uh, that he supported fracking, not building more fracking, but he broke with the left, which was demanding candidates call for a fracking moratorium. He didn't do that. So he's taken some positions you could call pragmatic and are not left wing. Uh, but he. It has been 12 minutes since we've had an update here in the North Carolina primary. I just want somebody to call it. Who has been on TV for, for decades. Uh, that is a very strange race. That is one between a uh, man in Fetterman who has done a lot of media, but is not really a natural politician, likes to keep to himself, doesn't like uh, small talk or talking points, uh, versus Dr. Oz, who has just literally spent his life uh, either in in an operating room or talking on TV and is a ball of energy. 
and as our colleague Andy Linsky pointed out, you might have a race between somebody who just got a pacemaker installed. Uh, somebody needs to call and check on North Carolina. I don't know who the nominee is going to be yet, but Fetterman is just a, a very hard to pin down figure, and that was a re reason he was hard to beat. One reason he was very popular. I mean, I met when I was in Pennsylvania plenty of Democrats who were not very left wing, but their impression of Fetterman was this guy says what he means. He works for. The, he's he's on the side of the working class. He dress like a politician and not they didn't just like it their their idea was my cousin my uncle who's very MAGA and hates politicians might like this guy he doesn't seem like a traditional politician whatever the result ends up being in Pennsylvania tonight in the Republican race you're going to have you know a mayor who's been in politics but whose Democrats didn't consider a typical slick politician <laughs> and before North Carolina went to bed or run for anything before uh, and and that says something about where these cans are going. I think 10 years I, ago, I'm pretty West certain West Fetterman will be in the Senate the, uh, come this time next year. Charismatic Marine. The Conor Lamb resume would have worked in a different year, but you are detecting some worry among Democrats about uh, not just not left-wing candidates as much as candidates who are, don't have much to say and are, 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 are look like they come from the establishment. You're not seeing them say, I'm going to go there to work for the Biden agenda and that be their winner, the winning message anymore. All right, thanks, Dave. Stay with us. Oh, yeah. Tonight's race in North Carolina sets up a potentially competitive race in November for an open... It has been 15 minutes since we've had an or update of North Carolina, and I'm dying. So, Lee, does the state feel like it is in the midst of political change? And what does the climate there mean for the fall? Well, Libby, North Carolina is one of those states, uh, depending on who you ask in politics, uh, what color is it? Is it uh, a light tinge of red or is it uh, turned completely purple? Uh, it's often called a 5149 state, uh, just for the how close the two parties are when it comes to uh, where people fall. It's, so it's really a, a microcosm of national politics. You have to remember that in 2020, um, in the last presidential uh, election, uh, Donald Trump's a, a margin of victory over Joe Biden was a little over one percent. And that was the uh, narrowest victory of any state uh, in, in the, in the uh, country in that race. So the rural-urban divide here is very stark. Uh, Joe Biden won eight out of the ten largest counties in the state, uh, urban areas. Um, and so you have to wonder, the, the, the urban areas, the rural areas kind of cancel each other out uh, in the end. Um, but this is a growing state. It's a changing state. Uh, look at Raleigh, uh, Wake County. That's uh, one of the fastest growing. Uh, Pennsylvania is really fucking cool. Cited Does as, not uh, Pittsburgh. The best uh, job uh, prospects. Uh, it's like the armpit of Pennsylvania. Um, a lot of uh, tech uh, presence with the research triangle uh, that's been a longstanding uh, presence there. But uh, some new uh, uh, entrants, uh, Google, uh, video game makers. Uh, Apple is opening a billion-dollar campus there next year. So a lot of change, people moving here, perhaps uh, in the pandemic, from a place like uh, the West Coast or uh, bigger East Coast cities because of the low cost of living. So all of that is setting up a very contentious, competitive uh, race in the fall against Ted Budd and Sherry Beasley. Um, it's going to be close. It's going to be competitive, as I said, uh, a real political fight. And you're already seeing that. Uh, on the ground here. Uh, oh, wait a minute. We're talking about North Carolina, aren't we? ...released before the primary against uh, Sherry... My bad. ...her uh, legislative agenda. I caught up with both of the candidates uh, earlier uh, this uh, weekend, and they're already going after each other, as you can see here.
there has been a response from the national Republicans and they are afraid because they really can't lose this race and they're spending all. This well, I mean, what, what we're what we're dealing with in North Carolina is that it's a lot of rural rural votes and it is a very rural area. She's the most radical Senate candidate that has ever run for office in North Carolina. She is Chuck Schumer's pick to try to turn North Carolina blue. And I don't if she's Chuck Schumer's pick, then she is not radical, sir. She'll make bad decisions for our state. So there you have it. That's a potential uh, setup uh, for what we're going to see in the fall. Uh, a lot of money expected to be spent here. Uh, perhaps we'll in North Carolina, return uh, with his endorsement of, of Ted Budd and perhaps other uh, national surrogates on both sides of both parties coming in, uh, lending their support for both of these candidates. I'll leave you with this. Uh, we're at the uh, a venue event space where Ted Budd uh, made a very early uh, victory speech, and the space is really cleared out. Uh, the entire United States is looking pretty clear. There's some severe storms going on in heard some themes Illinois, up in Minnesota. But other than that, like everything's looking pretty clear in the U.S. Uh, he consistently uh, lumped uh, Sherry Beasley together with Joe Biden, calling it the Biden-Beasley agenda. And and the favorite line he kept going back to 80% of the vote is in in the Senate race in Pennsylvania. Oz closing in, but will it be enough? 31% of the vote to Dave McCormick's 32% of the vote with 80% of the precincts reporting. If we end up getting a a winner in this race before North Carolina, geez. Well, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Post special report for the 2022 primaries. Tonight's results will send signals about the future momentum for both parties at a time when Democrats and Republicans are rejiggering their winning coalitions. The vote tally has been updated, but just barely. In that Republican primary for the state's open Senate. Bill Edwards up by about. The latest on the vote count. Two point. Two point. Two Although nothing in the top line numbers. Let's two point eight percent. Look, we've got about ninety percent of the vote in, and this race is so very close. We're within a single percentage point. Dave McCormick currently the leader, 32% of the vote. Dr. Oz currently in second place with 31% of the vote. And Kathy Barnett holding up the bottom of that trio at 20, at 24% of the vote. And now when we take a look at the map, there are a couple... Not looking good for your boy Oz, Warlord. Dr. Oz doing very well here in the northeast parts of the state. The second interesting trend is that Dave McCormick is doing well in some of the much more rural areas in the western part of the state, though you can see Kathy Barnett is breaking that up in places here. Um, Some of what you're seeing there is even um, happening in Lancaster County, which is one of the largest uh, batches of GOP votes that we're going to see in the state. They were actually the second largest county in 2018's uh, Republican primary. Uh, That county is we're waiting still on votes there but you can see barnett actually leads in this county uh by a handful of votes oh wow and only 53 percent reporting um there were some uh issues earlier in the night counting some early and absentee votes now that is the state of this race in pennsylvania but there are a few others that we're keeping our eye on first i would like to drag us over to north carolina and take a look at madison cawthorn's north carolina 11th congressional district now Cawthorn is the incumbent, and 98% of the vote is in, and we're seeing that this race is super-duper close, um, though Chuck Edwards looks like he's starting to pull 
away just a little bit in the last handful of votes. What we've seen is a handful of precincts. Fucking call it! Uh, have come in. Some of those precincts were a little stronger for Edwards than we expected. We're still waiting on a handful of more rural precincts that we think are going to be Cawthorn heavy, but there just don't appear to be an awful lot of votes left there. It's not a good night if you are a Cawthorn supporter, certainly. But it's still too... Is that a thing? Cawthorn supporter? Is that a thing? There are a handful of other interesting races for us to take a look at. One of them I would like to take a look at is, is in the Pennsylvania House. Now, the Pennsylvania 12th House District. This is a fight between Steve Irwin and Summer Lee uh, on the Democratic uh, side. Summer Lee, a more... Na, 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 na. A more hey! Uh, this is, again, one of those... Bye, Cawthorn. Democratic uh, candidates up and down the... Up and down the ballots. Uh, idiots. Idiots, warlord. Idiots. ...have been pulling out and sneaking up wins. I will say that Irwin and Lee are neck and neck with about 77% of the vote in. Um, we're seeing that it's less than a single percentage point difference between the two. Only a couple thousand votes. Oh, wow. Uh, there's still plenty of room for Summer Lee to pull ahead. This is a very interesting district. Again, every district in the United States this year is brand spanking new because of redistricting after the 2020 census. And this district in 2020 would have voted strongly for Joe Biden. So I wrote Lee off earlier because I thought like Irwin was running away with it when we were just looking at uh, the city of Pittsburgh and Westmoreland early totals. But man, like that's going to be a close one. Cool. A little bit just outside of Pittsburgh and much more west of the city and so this is one of those districts where we see Irwin doing very well on the uh, in the western part or in the eastern part of the state and we see Summer Lee doing a little bit better in the western part of the state around the city of Pittsburgh now we've got our eyes on these races and others uh, and as we've got updates for you Libby we'll make sure to get them to you but until then it's back to you Thanks. So I didn't think it was ableist. It was just more descriptive. More on that district we were just looking at. Uh, Dave, what do you make of the numbers we're getting in so far? He is indeed in a wheelchair, and he is indeed a Nazi. Progressives who knew they were not having a great night were hopeful earlier. It's his ghost, Warlord. Like last year's races in Pittsburgh, where early voting broke for the incumbent mayor for centrist candidates, and then the late vote broke for... for Man, it's going to be a barn burner with McCormick and Oz. We might not know tonight. About a, about a fifth of that vote is the city of Pittsburgh, maybe a little bit more more in a Democratic primary, about a, about a third. The rest are these suburbs where it was clear that Irwin was gaining ground. And the, the other chunk you're seeing, Westmoreland, she was always going to lose that. Her job was winning Allegheny County by maybe 4,000 votes. That'd be enough to do it. Uh, she has been making progress towards that goal. And one thing that was clear when I was in the district is uh, some of these left-wing candidates are making their first run or, or they're, uh, they have got one, one race under their belt and they're going for the ring. Lee had uh, gotten elected. I got updates in North Carolina, but it wasn't Cawthorn's race. Upsetting a primary. Sorry. One upsetting an incumbent in a primary, once facing a primary as an incumbent, and had built a very good organization called Unite, which was electing candidates around Pittsburgh, around the district for, you know, for school board, for judicial offices. So she was uh, doing the work that a lot of these organizers on the left say you have to do because things like this happen. You know, you, you organize your campaign and you get smashed by a lot of money. Uh, it is looking better for her there, and uh, there's the progressives I, I've been in touch with tonight went from very gloomy an hour ago to thinking... See, that, that's what I was looking at when I, I wrote Lee off. ...that shows that there is a way to beat this PAC strategy. They're, they're, don't, don't pay attention to their numbers down here because they are not correct. Rhonda Colvin, I want to bring you in to talk about the, the mudslinging that's happened on the Republican side of the aisle for that, for that open Senate seat. We saw so many negative ads 
hammering McCormick, hammering Oz, and it seemed to clear the path a little bit for Kathy Barnett to gain a little bit of traction. Talk to us about the mudslinging in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's right. And it's because it's such a uh, competitive race and everyone knows uh, how high the stakes are in that race. So even though they are on the same uh, party's ballot, they, they did want to make sure that they got all the jabs. Huffington Post has called the race and the question of money is for Edwards. Madison Cawthorn has lost. Uh, Cawthorn has conceded. Spending in a primary race. Typically, the money's in the general. I, I don't know what uh, what is up with the Washington Post. Cawthorn has conceded. And Pennsylvania uh, as the, the two states that could determine the power structure here on the Hill. There's so I, I still do not have official tally, but according to the Hill posted 10 minutes ago, Madison Cawthorn has conceded in North Carolina House GOP primary is uh, conceded to his primary rival, State Senator Chuck Edwards, marking the end of a brief yet controversial tenure in the House that earned him critics on both sides of the aisle. Farewell, Cawthorn. You will better lose your job. A lot of outside money coming into these races. You're seeing also, I know we haven't talked about it much tonight, but in Oregon, and, and there's a congressional race there. It's District 6. So Washington Post uh, being hesitant to call it, but Cawthorn has conceded. Cawthorn no longer a member of Congress come January. House uh, Democrat leadership here. Do not pay attention uh, to these numbers. They aren't correct. Races shape up to be record-breaking and spending so much money at this time in a cycle. Because, again, we're just at the primary level. We are not yet into the general yet. Uh, so the, the question of money is a big one. And you're right. It did, in Pennsylvania, it did clear the field a little bit when uh, the Republicans, who didn't really see Barnett as a threat, were mudslinging, you know, across uh, to each other. You're up to 82% of the vote in Pennsylvania. Oz gains a little bit within about 0.9%. Within 0.9%. Her mother, uh, that she was a uh, product of rape. Her mother was raped at 12 years old, and she had Kathy Barnett. And Barnett has been saying on the trail and in recent ads that the issue of abortion is a personal one for her. And uh, the one ad I'm talking about is very emotional. So you almost wonder if that kind of turned the tide for her as well. Um, so, yes, money, packs, they're really engaged in this midterm cycle. And uh, in terms of Kathy Barnett, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, when the dust settles uh, how well she did uh, and, and where she came in when she was not expected to get to this. Wheelchair Nazi is gone. And also the endorsement of President Trump. They are all having an influence. And we're talking a lot tonight about specific candidates and the winners and losers. But one of the biggest names at work is not actually on the ballot, and that is the former president. Trump's influence and his endorsement and his MAGA movement are being felt, but we're all wondering what effect it will ultimately have. So let's head back to James Homan to talk more about how Trump's endorsements are playing out. James? Yeah, Libby, that is the big storyline of these primaries is how powerful is Donald Trump as 2024 approaches. We've been talking about uh, Pennsylvania, so why don't we start there? You know, 
one of the funny things that's happening uh, based on that update from Jeremy and, and watching these numbers is that uh, Dr. Oz has been closing the gap uh, as the election day ballots begin to get counted. It's really close, uh, McCormick. It is very close. What I think one of the takeaways from it is is that Trump has convinced his most loyal supporters not to vote early, uh, which is relatively easy to do in Pennsylvania. Uh, and so it is a sign that the people who were voting for Oz on Election Day really are following the lead of Trump, following uh, his cue. But it's notable that, you know, he's in the 30s. That means only about 30 percent of Pennsylvanians voted for the guy that Trump flew in last weekend to campaign for. So that's the the big endorsement that we're watching in Pennsylvania. Uh, and then, well, it gets kind of small, and it's hard to see down there, isn't it? On Saturday, uh, that's really about Trump trying to follow his supporters. Rather, I was trying to give you guys the live he update. Mastriano was going to win anyway. Mastriano was supportive on Stop the Steal and uh, other things that Trump cared about, uh, and so Trump endorsed someone he knew was going to win. One of the trends that you notice in our Trump endorsement tracker is that there's a lot of uh, endorsements in non-competitive races because Trump wants to basically pad his record. To of course, of course. To say, you know, I'm 68 and two. Uh, otherwise, it does appear, you know, to that vein that Trump's picks in these Pennsylvania U.S. House primaries have all won their primaries, but that was all expected. So Trump can count those as wins, but if. Dr. Oz ends up losing, that's really the endorsement where Trump actually went out on a limb and was or wasn't able to have an impact. But the North Carolina is especially interesting. Ted Budd won very early in the night. He avoided a runoff against Pat McCrory. He benefited from Trump's early endorsement. Uh, he benefited from the Club for Growth and Trump being on the same. Bud versus Beasley could be a race in uh, North Carolina to watch. Trump padding his endorsements a little bit. You know, Virginia Fox was going to be fine, didn't have a serious challenge. Same with Murphy, Rouser won, Hudson, Patrick McHenry Bishop. The, the, but the two big Trump endorsements uh, that are still kind of open are these. This is where it matters. I, I thought Bo Hines had been declared the winner. Uh, played for North Carolina, then injured his back, went to Yale. Uh, really young guy, just a few years ago. Uh, he's in his 20s. He's about. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he has not. Bo Hines are, is are close up, but. Tried to distance himself. Just a couple of years ago, he was saying he's going to be. Just by a couple of percentage points. Uh, Bo Hines is the only. Uh, is, is, is running in the district that is actually a true toss up. Because of redistricting. The others are all going to be easy Republican or easy Democratic holds. But Bo Hines right now is only getting about 31% of the vote with about 85% of ballots counting. And a state legislator, someone who has kind of deeper roots, deeper ties in the state, more traditional uh, political background, uh, is running neck and neck with him, way too close to call. Uh, but Bo Hines spoke at Trump's rallies in North Carolina. Uh, the Trump operation really went hard to support him. He's the uh, son of really wealthy uh, parents and has put millions of his own money, millions of his own dollars, his parents' money, really, uh, into that race. And so Hines may pull it out without... Oh, so you made me hate him even more. ...less than a third of the vote. So two-thirds of Republican primary voters were unmoved by Trump's endorsement in the race. 
Madison Cawthorn. 84% in Pennsylvania. Oz pulling closer. Uh, today to reiterate. Down by just 0.6%. Uh, God damn. You know, every Republican establishment. That is with 86% of the vote. Especially Tom Tillis, the former Speaker of the State House, who's now been in the U.S. Senate in his second term. Uh, and, you know, Cawthorn has changed districts. Made Honestly, a- I'm hoping for an Oz win. I think either of them were going to lose to Fetterman just because I believe in Fetterman so much. But I believe it would be easier to beat Oz. We're watching these two, but these are the Trump endorsements where you really have to judge his win-loss ratio. Ted Budd, big win for Donald Trump, but these others, not so much. Similarly, in Kentucky, uh, you know, Trump Trump picked everyone who was expected to win. Of course. And then the big open things that were... I don't... Harold Rogers has been the fucking representative of Eastern Kentucky like my entire fucking lifetime. I don't know how the man is still alive. Fulcher. So uh, he was fucking old as dirt when I was interviewing him back in like 2005. And I want to talk to you more about that race yeah. in Idaho in a moment. But we have breaking news, James. Madison Cawthorn has conceded his congressional primary, even though we have not called this race, nor has the Associated Press. Let's go to Dave Weigel on the latest. Dave. Yes, Harold Rogers has been the representative of Eastern Kentucky since before I was born. So that race is over. I don't know what he what Cawthorn does next, but it took it took a lot of work for him to lose that primary. This this loss began when Cawthorn, uh, who had always been critical of his colleagues, who had been kind of mean spirited personally to, to a lot of them, who had angered a lot of them with his actions on January 6, uh, went, went on a podcast and claimed falsely that he was invited to drug and sex parties and implied that other members of Congress were going there. That really started, uh, one, this cascade of Republicans condemning him. That started Senator Tom Tillis being willing to spend money against him. 88% reporting Barnett closing in on Oz and McCormick. What happens when millennials... McCormick only up by 5% of the vote on Oz right now. Facebook posts and Instagram posts. Um, just embarrassing videos of him kept kept emerging. And the, the real the strategy for Republicans that worked is that Chuck Edwards was a solid conservative state senator from a geographic center of the district who... Uh, I bet it's true. ...as the alternative to Cawthorn. It took a lot of work. It was not obvious. There's a version of this race where he gets... 2% less to some other candidate and Cawthorn wins again. Uh, but yeah, Cawthorn basically talked talked and acted himself out of office. And I'd, I'd point out he won his first race by lying about his opponent and claiming they were a never-Trumper based on a video that he manipulated. So this is somebody who Republicans, uh, I think, on the Hill tomorrow uh, will be very happy to say goodbye to. You know, Dave, we'll be watching, uh, you know, as we wrap things up here tonight, what happens in Oregon, what happens in Idaho. I do want to ask you about one Idaho race that James mentioned. This is the race uh, for the Republican side of the aisle for governor. Of course, Idaho so Republican that this is really uh, a consequential primary there. The lieutenant governor is trying to beat her own governor. Can you talk to us a little bit about mm-hmm. uh, about what the dynamics are in, in this race that is indeed, as James said, a, a test of Trumpism. Uh, that is a very 
strange test that Trump has. And that's one of the many races tonight where uh, the the line that Kathy Burnett, who's not going to win, had that he had the president has some bad advisors. Sometimes that's true. In this case, he kind of uh, took a flyer and endorsed a, a lieutenant he governor. He's just laying there, so I figured I'd grab very him. very splashy decisions against mandates. When the governor, Brad Little, was out of the state, she was acting governor, and she would sign executive order banning a pandemic. Let it go saying 99 in Pennsylvania? I, I got the impression that Trump liked that. Trump also likes the idea of kind of a telegenic female candidate winning with his support. Uh, but she never got traction. She didn't ever raise much money. She also was just more far right than I think Trump even might have understood at first. I mean, she recorded a video for a white nationalist conference, the one that Marjorie Taylor Greene got a little bit of trouble for speaking at. She recorded a video and then was confused. Reporters asked her why she spoke uh, at, at the conference. She uh, just, but in the closing days was traveling around the state, having screenings of this new uh, Dinesh D'Souza documentary claiming the 20th... Oh, my God! She, there are going to be candidates with her mindset, I think, who are more strategic, and I think down the ballot may be successful. But you have there a far-right candidate trying to unseat her, uh, her governor. Uh, there has not been much polling. All the polling suggested that she wasn't really in the hunt. And one thing, it's typical for governors to debate their opponent. There's kind of an yeah, item... Politico says 99% of the vote, but it has the same... Usually do is percentages open that up to um let's say the colorful candidates in the race to make it look like their opponents are all a little little bit unelectable uh governor little didn't bother governor delivered didn't want to bother uh didn't want to debate janice mcgeechan didn't want to debate his challengers just tried to head this off at the past and say this is not a relevant candidate Thanks so much, Dave. Let's go back out to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Jorge Ribas, who is covering uh, the Republican race there for the Washington Post. So this is Politico's reporting. Where you are at David McCormick's camp. Hi, Libby. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty loud. 99%. uh, I mean, we're talking 0.4% right here. 4,000 votes separate them. Less than 4,000 votes. Uh, the race is tied up. Earlier tonight, uh, McCormick actually came down with his wife, Tina Powell, who was the former deputy national security advisor for Donald Trump. And he came down, talked to the crowd, shook some hands, uh, talked real quickly to, to, to everyone here, and then he left. Um, I don't know what the I don't know what the trigger is for a recount, but it may vary. It's usually like a half a percentage point or a percentage point triggers a recount. So we might not know tonight exactly who won. Just watching the results come in right now. And uh, and the thing that I that I always like to look at and it's sort of interesting is, you know, people here they're they're drinking, they're having fun, they're they're listening to music, but um, you can kind of see the They're listening to some shitty ass country music. Because early in the night, McCormick was doing really well. Uh, the results tightened up considerably and you can you can kind of if you look in the faces of the people who actually are working on the campaign. I mean, I wouldn't say they were worried, but they, you know, there's definitely like a, a little bit more concern than there was earlier in the night. But like the crowd here overall is very happy. They're watching TV. They're, you know, they cheer whenever they it comes in that, that McCormick's in, still in the lead, even though it's razor thin at this point. Jorge, you've been following razor thin indeed. In terms of this race for a while. That's right. I mean, I was here um, earlier for a McCormick event back in April, and he spoke at Hanover Township, uh, Pennsylvania, which is just uh, right near Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, Scranton area. He spoke at an American Legion there. Um, There were a lot of veterans in the crowd. It was very much his scene. He talked a lot about his Pennsylvania roots uh, growing up 
in Pennsylvania working at a Christmas tree farm. He talked a lot about his military background. Uh, he had a lot of voters there, some voters who were still kind of on the fence, and I actually got to speak to some of them about what they thought about David Foreman. How many of you are sitting here today asking yourselves, what the hell can I do to try to get things back on track? Right? Yeah. That's why I'm running. I'm looking you were sitting there and you asked yourself what can I do to get things back on track. I would like to see more plain talk and people start addressing the, the real issues that affect everyday Americans. He's wearing a hat that says, let's go, Brandon. You're an idiot, dude. I have uh, backed him like from the very beginning. He loves America. He loves Pennsylvania. That's that's enough for me. I have been in a charter member. One thing, he loves Pennsylvania. He didn't even live there three years ago. Since the very beginning in 2016. But this time I was very angry because he should have taken into account a lot of what we feel. And he didn't. And he has been wrong before. I keep saying he's not infallible. Yeah, and so that was really interesting to hear. Are you doing like the WWE thing? Trump then, Trump now, Trump forever. That President Trump, former President Trump, had for Dr. Oz. Well, people were there to see him. They didn't really care much about Dr. Oz. And a couple people told me, you know, they think that, that he made a mistake in supporting Dr. Oz, that they should have gone with someone else like McCormick. I had someone tell me that he should have supported Kathy uh, Barnett. But what, and, I, and at the. At oh, the, oh. Yes, I know what you're like. It was a uh, fucking what's his name? The Alabama governor was it? That the president, the former president, made a mistake in not endorsing McCormick. He told me that that he thought that you know. I think that uh, no, no, no. I think that was like segregation tomorrow, segregation yesterday, segregation or segregation today, segregation yesterday, segregation tomorrow. You're doing the opening to like WWE. It's like now, then, and forever. That the former president didn't pick McCormick, but that he told George Wallace uh, McCormick would do well and win over Trump supporters, Trump voters, that would otherwise maybe go for Dr. Oz. Thank you so much, Jorge, out at that very noisy Dave McCormick rally out uh, in Pittsburgh. We really appreciate you talking to us, Jorge. Thank you. Uh, for all of your reporting. Let's yes, it was George Wallace, segregation today, segregation and tomorrow, segregation forever. Two big themes tonight, the continued influence of former President Donald Trump on Republican candidates. So close. Establishment well, now, what have you seen? Now that you've said that, now I'm kind of like, it's weird that the WWE has that in their opening. <laughs> it's really fucking close. All of these Republican primaries showed up in a couple places tonight. Let's start at the North Carolina Senate GOP primary. We called this one pretty early in the night, Ted Budd, uh, you know, with a pretty convincing win across the state of North Carolina. Really only a little bit of Mecklenburg County uh, managed to get a handful of uh, votes. It looks like it's a dumpster fire of a video game, though, Warlord. Bud was, uh, you know, heavily favored, and uh, I, I think the developers quit. They're going to WWE now or some shit. 
places where this pattern continues to be the case. Let's look at Pennsylvania in the governor primary and the, for the GOP. Doug Mastriano, you know, clearly the Trump-preferred candidate uh, over Lou Barletta, who, you know, would have been a Trump-preferred candidate maybe in previous years. But the even more conservative Doug Mastriano with a... Yes, AEW video game developer leaves to join WWE 2K. But in truth, it was Mastriano's race uh, to win, and he did very, very convincingly. Now, even in the places where the Trump-favored candidates didn't win, they still sort of demonstrate the rule that uh, the Republican Party is really, uh, like, leaning this direction. And let's see what he's here. 0.3%. It is so fucking close. Point, point two percent. Candidate herself. If you add up, God damn. That's something like fifty percent. Oz coming on strong here at the end. Two sort of Trump favored or Trump esque candidates have sort of split the vote, allowing a third candidate to sort of run the ball right up the middle. And that's what we're seeing here in this race. The only other place where a Trump endorsed candidate really didn't perform well was Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina, a race we still haven't called. But it's one of those races where Cawthorn. Born, you know, for reasons very far outside of whether or not his Trump endorsement held, uh, was in. Uh, I would assume it's going to get a recount, no matter like what the result is. Was another interesting. It's just, it's just going to be that fucking close whether or not centrist or progressive Democrats were going to do well. And we were going to see this in a couple different places, but mostly in the House. Let's take a look at the state of North Carolina at some of these Democratic House primaries. Don you can do it, Oz! We're rooting for you. I think Oz will be easier to beat, but like I think either of them are going to go down to Fetterman. Across this new district uh, that's in the northeast of the state. This district in 2020, if it had existed, would have been a lean Biden district. And so this is one of those cases where we're seeing a conservative Democrat do well, even in a place where, uh, you know, the president did particularly well in 2020. Then we look at the same... Why wouldn't a conservative Democrat do well in a place where a conservative Democrat won in 2020? Uh, you know, an excellent job. Clay Aiken just couldn't get it together. The American Idol alumni. Where the city of Durham is. And outside of that, Fushi, you know, ran up strong margins in Orange County and elsewhere. And then we see the same pattern hold clear even here in uh, North Carolina 11 and in other house races. Now, the one place where this is not particularly apparent is one where the Democrats had a, a candidate who just is really hard to categorize. And that would be um, when we're looking at John Fetterman. Fetterman is not an establishment Democrat by any means. Uh, and Connor Lamb, it would be closer to that description by, by my take. But in truth, he uh, ran a unique campaign. No, I have not covered that. I do indeed have that in my uh, my bank of stories, but I, it hasn't fit anywhere in into the rundown. And it turns out to be the case. So, Libby, that's what we've seen tonight. We've I don't even know the whole story, but, like, California had a law where, like, 50% of the board had to be female or some shit, and a judge has struck that down. Jeremy, can you take us back to that uh, Senate... 50% of the board of a company, of a private company, had to be female. Just a small percentage of the vote to come in yet, but it is neck and neck. So where are we waiting for votes to come from, and what is their significance? You know, it's so close, Libby. The truth is... Oh, uh, I thought it was a percentage. It was up to three women on corporate boards. ...left outstanding across the state, not really following any real geographic convention. As I said, I didn't read the story, but I had seen the headline. ...votes that are outstanding, but also a handful of those... Point two percent 
99% reported. Lancaster County is where I believe there is the majority of the votes left outstanding. Kathy Barnett has been doing exceedingly well in this county. Um, but there's only She is not going to be able to make up enough space at all. Some early trouble with she, was, she might have been a spoiler for... Count those They're going to have to go through and almost hey, Smokey. for those. Hi, buddy. Slow them down. It might be the case that we don't Hi. have uh, the rest of Lancaster County until, well, just about now. Hi, <laughs> baby. Saw that number jump from 75% reporting to 98% reporting, which is very interesting. And what we're seeing is Kathy Barnett holding her lead here. We should look and see what this does to the rest of the state if it makes a move. It really doesn't. We still show McCormick with a 0.2% lead. Now, that is so very close. It is really easily the case that a handful of votes here or there going to Barnett, uh, pulling votes away from Dr. Oz, or a handful of those votes going to McCormick could easily be the difference in a race like this. And we're just going to have to keep our eyes on it. So talk to us finally before I... I don't know what he's trying to do. Going to be looking at what are you doing, Smokes? What a realistic time frame on all this might be. That's right. You know, Pennsylvania <laughs> is no stranger to struggling vote counts. Um, you know, in 2020, we waited an awfully long time to get those final results in the state. That's one of the things that we'll be watching for tonight is to look and see how many of those uh, additional mail-in ballots are going to need to be counted. He saw something outside he wanted to go and uh, check earlier, out. But the state legislature sort of forbids that. Those can only really be uh, touched once uh, Election Day begins. Um, you know, and we'll be keeping our eyes on uh, a handful of other places, probably some mm-hmm. urban areas where there are a handful of uh, Election Day votes outstanding. Uh, the Philadelphia area, the Pittsburgh area often take a little bit of extra time to count. And you'll remember those from 2022, almost the exact same thing that we're waiting for there. But in truth, neither of those places really favors either of these candidates. It's going to be one of those things where we're going to have to wait for the every last ballot to be counted before we feel comfortable. Okay, well, no sleep for you or Lenny Bronner until maybe I shouldn't make that commitment for you. Uh, thank you. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Really appreciate all that you and Lenny and your team have been doing for us tonight. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. Yeah, I, it could be quite some time before we know in this race because it is so fucking close. So Justin is getting hungry. Justin is going to call it a night, but you know, you know, I got your animal video. You know, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Apparently, this giraffe was uh, born with some kind of condition. Human medicine rescues this giraffe. The Toonie, the giraffe, was born at the San Diego Zoo with her front limb bending the wrong way. This would have prevented her from nursing and walking around the habitat. So the zoo asked a, a local prosthetics team to help. They had no experience fitting a brace for an animal before, but they came up with one for the 5-foot, 10-inch tall baby giraffe. This is the cute little baby sporting her new braces. Thanks to a creative prosthetics team. you got to check this out and meet Sutuni. She was born in February with her front limb bending the wrong way. Oh, sweet baby. Because her condition was going to possibly prevent her from nursing, walking around the habitat. So the zoo reached out to the local prosthetics team, and that's what they came up with. A way to make a brace for this 5-foot, 10-inch tall baby giraffe. The team had no experience even fitting a brace for an animal before. They made this work, and there she is. They had to listen to this. Use moldings of those legs so they could make a carbon graphite brace that featured her distinct pattern of just crooked spots. And also, it matches her. Oh! Sure they could do that too. That is quite impressive. 
Oh, sweet baby. A baby giraffe at the San Diego. That's awesome. Walking this morning thanks to a creative prosthetics team. You got to check this out and meet oh, Sutuni. If if you are watching on Twitch, you are heading over to Down Ballot on Echoplex Media. Go ahead, light one up, tip one back. It's all right to have a little fun before you hit the sack. Hopefully we'll know tomorrow if it was McCormick or Oz winning the primary in the Pennsylvania GOP Senate race. Night Tones, Warlord, everybody, love you all. Sky Comet, have a great night.